get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Morning, everyone, and welcome to Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And, Michelle, I was off last week. You are. So I have a tendency to not get back in the groove quickly, mm-hmm. but I'm back in the groove now. Guess what day it is? Huh? Hump day? It's hump day already. It really is hump day already. I can't believe it's already Wednesday. It really is. Um, And you know what else it is? It's Ask Uncle Randy Day. It is. We've got that coming up in just a few minutes here on 101 ESPN. And it's we're in winning town, by the way. Uh, Happy, happy winning town. Winning town, USA. Blues win. Illinois wins. Wazoo wins. Slough wins. The Cardinals are winning gold gloves. Yep. We're we're in winning town. That's right. How about your St. Louis Blues last night? It probably wasn't the most artistic effort we've ever seen, but they did pull off a 3-2 shootout win over the Winnipeg Jets in Winnipeg. Bucci gets the first goal of the night for the Blues, does so in the first period, and then Winnipeg takes over. Michelle, they were dominating until the last half of the third period when the Blues finally were able to tie it. Over the line, works his way in. Good stick handling, they force, they shoot, they score! There it is, Joe! Jordan Cairo ties the game at two for the Blues on some great stick handling and the assist for Butchnevich. 8.05 to go in the third. We're tied at two. And Chris Kerber said, there it is, Joe, because the Blues had no right being in that game. And Joe Vitale was despondent. The Blues were outshot 40-23 to 23 in mm-hmm. regulation, and they just weren't playing well. It didn't look like they were playing hard. And the only reason they were in that game was because Jordan Bennington was unbelievable. Jordan Bennington was outstanding last night. You're right, Randy, especially the second period. The Blues just looked overwhelmed. It's amazing that they were able to get out of that second period unscathed, but that just tells you how outstanding Jordan Bennington was. But what a move and what a pass by Buchnevich to set up Cairo to get the equalizer there. It was an incredible move, and, and he had a strong night, too, Buchnevich. It seems yeah. like every night, Randy, it's a newcomer who steps up for this team, whether it's Saad, Buchnevich, James Neal has had his moments. I'm impressed that these guys have jumped right in, and it doesn't seem like there's any sort of getting comfortable period with Doug, them. Doug Armstrong did an amazing job this offseason. He did. So we go to overtime, and Connor Hellebuck is amazing in overtime as the Blues outshot Winnipeg 10-1. to We go to the shoot out each team stoned in their first three opportunities. Ryan O'Reilly gets one past Hellebuck on the fourth shootout attempt, and that leaves Blake Wheeler to go against Jordan Bennington. Now the Jets try to tie. Wheeler brings it in, shoots it on. Bennington the save, and you can bring out the Zamboni. A shootout win for the Blues in Winnipeg tonight. 
three to two the final and they're back in sole possession of first place in the central division and after 11 games the blues have a record of eight two and one and Craig Berube's goalie stops all four in the shootout after being brilliant during regulation and the one shot he faced in overtime. I, I know uh, Jordan was, Bennington was pretty special in uh, in game seven there against Boston, but would you rank this up there with among the best games he's ever played for you? Uh, it's close. He, it's uh, the second and the third period. He made some big saves, I'll tell you that. Jordan Bennington, more like Winnington. And you know what, Randy? This is when you look at the Blues and you're trying to assess whether they're actually a Stanley Cup contender. Jordan Bennington is one of the main reasons why you think the Blues can go deep or could really be that team. Because when you have a goalie that can take over a game, he can steal a game like that for you. It's an absolute game changer. And when you're missing a half dozen guys, you have to have your goalie step up. And that's exactly what he did. Meanwhile... Baruby knows that his team didn't play particularly well in front of Bennington. We could straighten it out, and it's, you know, the players got to just understand, you know, what they need to do. And, you know, um, you got to, you know, they got to just buy into doing it. Like, it's important. Um, It's not a pretty way to play sometimes, but it's important on the road, um, especially in the second periods, that you play a simple game, a chip game, get it in deep, and you go to work. And I, I love Karubi, uh, Baruby's attitude here. I love the fact that he understands there's going to be bad games. This is one of the advantages of having the, uh, a coach that played at a high level and watched and paid attention to what was going on. You can't play great every game. So you take what you can out of this. You take the two points out of it, definitely. And then you try to fix what the problems are. And then you come back and you've got uh, another game against Nashville coming up tomorrow night here on 101 ESPN. End of a road trip. You're missing a lot of key players. The Blues have had personnel coming in, coming out. Craig Ruby mixing up the lines, though, knowing how to push all the right buttons. But you're right. Sometimes you look at a game and you have to take a step back and look at all the circumstances surrounding the game. And is it the best game the Blues ever played? No. Jordan Bennington aside. But they came out with the victory. They found a way to win despite not playing their best game. And that's, I think, what I'll take away from it. College basketball last night. All the local teams as we mentioned, got started. SLU had an 18-0 run early in the second half, and they blew out Central Arkansas. 96-61, Uri Collins, 14 points, a dozen assists. And the Billikens back at it tonight. They play Harris Stowe over at Chaffetz Arena. Meanwhile, Michelle's 11th ranked, Illini, ILL. Illini. They hammered Jackson State 71-47. Without Kofi Coburn, too, Randy. Pretty good. Jacob Grandison, 20 points, 5 rebounds and assists. And Mizzou with a 10-point win over Central Michigan over at the Mizzou Arena. Javon Pickett with 18 points for the Tigers. Congratulations to them on their 1-0 start. I like that we're back in college basketball season. Yeah, this is necessary. I saw Will Leach tweet something yesterday that he was ready to turn the page and forgive Sister Jean last year. (laughs) The chapter was closed. Go Illini. I have not forgiven Sister Jean. I am not as forward thinking as Will Leach, but I am ready to turn the page into this season and a good start for Illinois. I would never forgive her. I can't forgive her. She broke your heart. It w- the NCAA should have looked into that. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's not necessarily a recruiting violation, but when you're calling in a personal favor to the big man upstairs during tournament play, that should not be allowed. Yeah. Michelle, by the way, Duke knocked off Kentucky last night in the opener. Number nine, Duke. Number 10, Kentucky. Who would have thought that for a season opener? Yeah. Right? 79-71 is the final. But Kentucky people are upset with Coach Cal because he didn't produce any NBA players last year. Wow. 
And it's been a, it's been a minute since Kentucky has been dominant. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the coach Cal, not that they're not going to be great because they are, but has the era of Coach Cal dominating college basketball passed us by? You know what? Maybe. I have no doubt that he could find it again. But I think the the manner in which he built teams, the way he recruited, the one-and-done style, it, basketball, well, any sport really evolves. Whenever there's somebody that's doing something different, the sport is going to have people that are copycats or the sport's going to catch up to you. And now with the way that college athletics is going with the NIL and how a lot of one-and-done players don't just have to go to Kentucky, um, I don't know. I, I just think that the, the construct of what Kentucky was isn't as valuable to somebody who's coming into the league and looking to go to the NBA. They have a lot of opportunities to do that at other programs. And I look at Gonzaga and I look at Villanova and I look at Michigan State where they've done it forever, where they're keeping players around. It's not necessarily the one and done. It's the players that stick around through their junior, sometimes even their senior years. And those seem to be the teams that are succeeding now, the experienced teams that when the pressure is on, know how to handle situations. Well, that bodes well for Illinois. Yeah, it does. <laughs> By the way, last night, the Illinois women started off their season with a win over North Carolina Central, 73-56, and SLU's women dropped their opener to Northern Iowa, 63-54. Aaron Rodgers says, I'm sorry if uh, if anybody was misled by what I said. I'm sorry. So thanks, Aaron, for apologizing if we happen to be misled by your lie. Do you think that he had someone come in and help him with this? Because I was listening to his conversation with Pat McAfee and he was talking about how he was surprised and hurt by people's reactions and didn't expect people to react the way that they did. I wonder if he said, this is beyond me. This is beyond the scope of what I thought it was going to be. Let me get a PR professional in here to help me out because he was not apologetic prior. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's reading the room and reading the reaction from people and that's why he pivoted. But I wonder if someone told him, this is what you need to say. If you want this to go away, these are some of the talking points that you need to hit on. He claims to be a smart guy. So I I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. He went to the University of California. He should not be dumb. And if there is the necessity for bringing in a PR expert, then, yeah, he should take advantage of that. I would be surprised if he didn't. But again, I could also see him thinking that he's smarter than any PR executive out there and that he can handle it himself. So who knows? I'm sure because... People Magazine said it. That's right. That he thought he was doing the right thing last Friday and then does see the blowback. He, one thing about him for a quarterback, he is thin skinned and pays attention to everything that's said and written about him. Oh, yeah. But if you're an athlete, you have to be a special, special breed to not pay attention to what's said about you or to be able to avoid it. I don't know if you're an athlete how you would be able to avoid it unless you never check your phone, unless Mm -hmm. you never have the television on ESPN, unless you have the circle around you so tight, not bring up anything that's said. If you're an athlete, there is likely a station just like ours in town that is picking apart your performance and having listeners call in and rip you to shreds if you're not performing, even if you are Sometimes performing up to the level of expectations, but it ha- you have to be very special to not let that stuff bother you. It's hard. And then add to that the fact that he is supposed to be quarantined at home by himself. Yeah, there's no way that he wasn't monitoring all of this. Right. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. We're off and running here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, it has been a couple of weeks since I've been able to answer your questions for Ask Uncle Randy. You can get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Ask Uncle Randy is coming your way on 101 ESPN. 
We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. I've been around, you know. I have. It's time for Ask Uncle Randy on 101 ESPN. We always appreciate your Rhino Shield mic drops to 101 ESPN via the 101 ESPN app. And, of course, your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. And Michelle has your questions about whatever is going on in life, like dealing with in-laws during the holiday season or maybe Mm -hmm. dealing with a a first date or maybe a little financial question you have. Okay, how do I handle buying my first car, Uncle Randy? That's what Uncle Randy is here for, Michelle. Sports questions, too. Yeah, sports questions, too. I'm, I, 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 I've answered some of those in the past, so yes, I'll, be, I'll be more than happy to do that. This first one is not sports-related, though. Okay. It's about matters of the heart, Uncle mm, Randy. This is important, important stuff. From the 573, Dear Uncle Randy, it's been three years since my divorce, and I still can't move on. How long will it be before I want to take the next step and start dating again? Any advice would be appreciated. We were together for 20 years. I totally get that it's hard to move on. And I think this is really a personal thing that only you can tell yourself when you're able to move on and get out in the dating scene. I hope that you at least have some buddies that you can hang out with and express your feelings to them. It's nice to have somebody to express your feelings to, and especially if you have somebody that's been through it before. But you can't just wash away 20 years overnight. You can't do that in a month or two. Uh, you get to three years, and it, it sounds to me like you're still, you still have feelings for the person that you did have that relationship with for 20 years. And my only recommendation is that you have to do what's best for you. You can't force things. Now, one thing that I will say is that it's been 23 years since you've been in the dating scene. Mm-hmm. The Internet has changed a lot since you were out there dating. And if you do have interest in meeting somebody new, you and we mentioned this a lot, Michelle, it is amazing, especially with people in the same situation that our texture is in that people are, are going online and they're going to match.com or whatever and finding people that have common interests as well. You can't move forward unless you take the first step. Mm-hmm. So do something today that's going to take that first step, whether it's downloading an app or taking some pictures that you want to put on an app or texting your buddies to say, let's go out this Friday. I need you to wing me. I need to talk to somebody. Yeah. It's going to be scary. You haven't done it in a long time. It's scary, too, when you've been hurt and you've gone through a tough breakup and there may be some lingering feelings. It's scary to be vulnerable. But what are you waiting for? Go for it. But if you if you're not comfortable, then you just have to wait until you are. And you're right. Getting out there and doing some things. That's why I said having some buddies to spend time with. That's important. And just kind of inch your way back out into that scene. I. I also think it's never going to be comfortable. That first date no. or that first match online or whatever, if you haven't done it in 23 years, it's going to be uncomfortable no matter which way you slice it. So just get it over with. Get it out of the way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just like anything in life, reps. You need some reps. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. From the 314, Dear Uncle Randy, my dad can't accept that I'm a better golfer than him. How do I tell him that his days of beating me are over without breaking his heart and maybe his mind? You don't have to say a word. This is something that he's going to have to come to grips with on the golf course. Don't let him win, though, because my guess is that as a father, he didn't let you win when you were a youngster. You don't have to say a word. Let your scorecard do the talking. 
And you don't have to trash talk. You don't have to break his heart by saying, Dad, I'm better than you are now. No. Just go out, play golf, and let the score do the talking. Trust me, he knows. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> he knows. From the 636, Dear Uncle Randy, with the Cardinals freeing up some money with Carpenter and Martinez gone, how would you like the team to spend that cash? Okay, Carpenter, Martinez, in addition to Dexter Fowler's money coming off the books and Andrew Miller's money coming off the books. So about $60 million coming off there. One of the problems you have is that last year, Nolan Arenado was essentially free. And now, because he deferred $10 million of his dollars, and you got $25 million last year from Colorado. So the, his $35 million was paid off last year. This year, he's actually going to cost you about $25 million in cash. Mm-hmm. So of that $60 million, $25 is already accounted for if the Cardinals don't increase their payroll. You're going to have to pay people like Harrison Bader. You've got guys going into arbitration that will probably cost an extra $10 million there. So I'm thinking that I have $25 million to spend. If it were me and I were Mo, I would spend every penny on starting pitching. So would I. You are going to get one of the shortstops on that market that's better than what you have, and those are Correa, Story, uh, and Seeger. You aren't going to get any of those three for less than $20 million. And if you do that, then you aren't going to be able to spend the money on pitching. So I'm going to allocate all of it to starting pitching. From the 314, Dear Uncle Randy, I'm going to help coach a middle school basketball team. The head coach doesn't want to run plays. How should I tell him that isn't wise? I've played my whole life. He's never played. Middle school? Middle school basketball team. Okay. What you have to do is just draw up some simple plays and go in and not with the kids around, but with the other guy around, say at every level of basketball, Once we get to this age, there are going to be plays that are drawn up. We need to help these kids prepare themselves for playing on the high school basketball team. They have to understand spacing. They have to understand that they have to be at a certain spot on the court as we play offense and defense. So I I would try to simplify it that way and try to go to him and say, look, I get where you're coming from because our chief goal is to have fun. And yes, my goal is for these kids to have fun. That's what we all want. That's why we're here. That's why we're coaching. But these kids aren't far away from being on a freshman basketball team in high school, and they have to learn how to play the game. And that's our job. Our job is, as coaches, to coach them. And we don't have to give them a Lakers-style defense. We don't have to give them the spacing of the Golden State Warriors. But just draw up four or five plays so that the players know where to be on the court at the times they're supposed to be there. From the 573, Dear Uncle Randy, my wife wants a third kid. I don't. How do we decide? We have a 10-year-old and a 14-month-old. Okay, there's only one way for you to decide, and that is by going to your doctor and saying, I want to retire from this business. And uh, <laughs> he'll, the, the doctor will help you. Now, this has to be a mutual decision. But you have to make clear to her why. that you, you can't just say, I don't want a third kid. Whatever your reasons are for not wanting a third, you have to explain to her why and say, hey, we brought two kids into this world. It's our responsibility to raise them in a responsible manner. And I don't want to have any mistakes here. And I, I want you to be happy, but I want you to also know that we need to do the right thing by all of our kids. And if I really don't want 
want a third kid and we have one, I don't think that that's the right thing to do for our kids. That's a tough conversation to have. It is. From the 636, Dear Uncle Randy, Mike Schiltz is a finalist for National League Manager of the Year despite being fired for the car- by the Cardinals. My question is, will Ali Marmol be a Manager of the Year finalist in 2022? Yes, he will. Unless he just has a nice, clean, easy season without any in- injuries. But yeah, he should be because he's new. He's the, the flavor of the month. We don't really know him very well on a national level. And he's going to be in the playoffs. So yes, he will be a finalist for National League Manager of the Year. I, I would imagine he would be. But if not... Yeah. And I hope, by the way, that Mike Schilt wins National League Manager of the Year. I think that would be really entertaining. I think it would be, too. He's certainly deserving. Mm -hmm. Okay. From the 573, Dear Uncle Randy, my son is now a senior in college. He's a fantastic musician and student, and he's finally found time for a girlfriend. When's the appropriate time to invite her to go on the family vacation to Florida? I say wait until spring, but my wife wants to invite her to Christmas. Oh, she absolutely has. Now, is Christmas at home, or is this a vacation? Is it a Christmas vacation? So it doesn't say. Okay. But if Christmas is at home, absolutely, she's got to come over to the house. She's got to be invited at her convenience, work around her. And I would say that, first of all, make sure that your son is on board and say, hey, if she wants to come along, yeah, bring her along. I I don't think there's any problem either way, having her along for Christmas, even if that's a trip. If, If those two are... He's a senior in high in college. He's doing well. Yeah, let him be happy. And if, if she is what makes him happy, her being at his side, then she has become part of the family. So let her be part of it. Have you had one of your kids, significant others, gone on a family trip with you yet? No, but uh, my son did go on a family trip with his girlfriend's family. I wonder what that feeling is like as a parent when you're used to your own family dynamic and your routine. And then there's someone, even though you're probably familiar and comfortable with them, that's not part of your family that comes on a trip. It has to be a different dynamic. But I, I think with the right person in our family she's just fit in she's a part of the family now it's mm-hmm. pretty simple and so when she's around it's natural and that's what you hope for and you can't find out until you do it last one randy from the 314 dear uncle randy and aunt michelle i'm looking for the best italian restaurant for my wife's birthday where should i take her okay there are a lot of good italian restaurants and let's start with this michelle you can't go wrong on the hill, can you? Any of the, and whatever you choose on the hill, whether you want to go to Charlie Gito's or you want to go to Zia's or any of the other spectacular restaurants on the hill, you can't go wrong with those. So let's start there. Would you agree with that? Yes, that is a great place to start. And by the way, just the ambiance, the romance is great because most people don't go to the hill on a regular basis. So, that's something adventurous, and that's fun. Here in the county, pretty much everybody that I am friends with enjoys Palmano's. I've never at, been, but I heard it's outstanding. Yeah, so that's another good play to make. Uh, and if you want to go more out west, if you go to uh, Vito's in the Valley, Vito's in the Valley, there's also a Vito's over by Slough. Vito's in the Valley, I went there for my birthday, and it was fantastic. 
Vito's in the Valley. Yeah, Chesterfield Valley. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, so there you go. Any other recommendations that you would make? I My favorite restaurant uh, is Louie. I think you're mm-hmm. going to never have a bad bite at Louie. Great vibe there. And Pastoria is always a good pick, Pastoria too. is great. Can't go wrong with a Gerard Craft vehicle. Yeah. And if people are, uh, what if, what if the, the Italian that they're interested in is pizza? Then you need to go to Pizzeria de Gloria. That's on the hill, though. You mentioned going on the hill. Yeah. Great, great ambiance there. Great pizza, salads. They have awesome cocktails. It's a good spot. There you go. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Next up, we've got an early edition of Take It or Leave It. Brett Bielma, the Illinois coach at 745 today. So Take It or Leave It is coming your way on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Texts, welcome to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Randy, Michelle, and Emily with you. And Michelle, as you know, Aaron Rodgers fined $14,650 for violating the NFL's COVID protocols while he was unvaccinated. He was sauntering around the practice facility in Green Bay and going to press conferences. Take it or leave it. This will serve as a deterrent for other unvaccinated players that are making more than $30 million a year. I'll take that for sure. (laughs) I love how you said he was sauntering too. (laughs) Not just walking around. He was sauntering around. Yeah, he knew what he was doing. Yeah, this isn't a big financial hit for Aaron Rodgers to absorb, but for some other players, it certainly would be. So I'll go ahead and take that. But if you're you're Kirk Cousins, you say, hey, I can go to any press conference. 14 grand, big deal. Also, though, the league knew about his status. The Mm -hmm. Packers knew about his status. They weren't enforcing it. This only came to light because he tested positive for COVID. So I think a lot of other players might be looking at this situation and saying, well, he tested positive, and that's why it was a big deal, because then all of these these questions started swirling around him. Evidently, it's a thing in the NFL where it doesn't become a thing until people find out about it. Yeah, that seems to be the pattern. Yeah, I look at Aaron Rodgers, and if he was allowed to get away with it and no one was stopping him, it's not his job. Yes, he should be following the rules, but there are people that get paid to enforce right, exactly. those rules. Yeah. And I'm looking at them far more than I'm looking at Aaron Rodgers, because, listen, during this time period, a lot of people love to keep score. They love to know what everyone's status is. I couldn't care less what Aaron Rodgers does. This is about what he said, and this is about his actions and not following the rules. But I'm not putting the onus squarely on him. The NFL knew. The Packers knew. They're the ones that should have been enforcing this. And by the way, Roger Goodell goes up in press conferences and says, we are a league of rules. No, you aren't. Come on. Rules, air quotes, <laughs> rules that are there. Because at the at the end of the day, Randy, all they really care about is having Aaron Rodgers out on the field exactly. because it's good for their product. Right. So I don't even think that they care what his status is unless he's as long as he's available. As long as he's playing. As long as he's available. Okay, so speaking of the NFL, a lot of people hate the taunting rules. They hate the taunting penalties that have been throwing out there. We saw it, um, it again on Monday Night Football. But Mike Tomlin, of all people, the Pittsburgh Steelers head coach came out insinuating that he was a proponent of the of the rule. He said, we're just trying to clean up our game. We embrace the responsibility that comes with being the role models that we are. Take it or leave it. You thought the last head coach that would be in favor of the taunting rule is Mike Tomlin. I would take that. Yeah. Although uh, maybe Bill Belichick could be a close second. But yeah, I, I would have thought that uh, Tomlin would have wanted 
that emotion to be displayed. And here's one thing that's weird about the NFL, where they need to get on the same page with themselves, is a couple of years ago, they eliminated the anti-celebration rule. So now you have 10 players getting into a formation in the end zone after an interception and rowing the boat. <laughs> you have to decide one thing or the other. Do you want players to celebrate or not? Because taunting ultimately is a celebration. Correct. So you have to decide if, as a league, do you want to be the no fun league where you don't have celebrations, but you also can't have taunting or do you want to just play it straight where if there is emotion involved, the players are allowed to express that emotion. I just can't imagine that a professional sports league that knows that one of their main jobs is to entertain people would take out a celebration, which is part of the great point of entertainment. I mean, think about the greatest show on turf. When I was a kid, Randy, and we were out at the playground, you're playing kickball and you're doing the bob and weave. Right. It was so fun. It's part of the joy of watching the game is knowing what players celebrate. You'll always remember Victor Cruz for the salsa. These are things that we'll always remember. And I don't know why the league would want to tamper that down. And this obviously because of the controversy with Cassius Marsh the other night. That wasn't taunting. That was a celebration. You you know, anybody that's logical knows when one player is taunting another player. Mm -hmm. Just call it when one player taunts another player. Don't try to make stuff up. It's kind of like the, that description of porn. You know exactly. it when you see it. You exactly. know taunting when you see no it. No doubt. Emily, what do we have on the text line? From the 618, take it or leave it. If St. Louis gets an expansion franchise, they should reclaim the dark blue and old gold colors. I'm hmm. going to leave that. I'm going to leave that, too. I don't think we want any shadows of the Rams in, no. in that new venture if it were to come to fruition. Agreed. From the 573, take it or leave it. The new CBA will change our expectations for the 2022 Cardinals. Um, I will take that, even though I think we're already anticipating the DH. I think that's mm -hmm. been part of the shape of our conversations about what the team would be. But maybe the, the timing of everything, how players will have time to prepare, maybe the the timeliness in which players are acquired, that might shift it a little. But I think we have a pretty good sense of what to expect. My expectations are similar to what they were last year. The only team that I really don't I don't have a gauge on heading into the season is the Reds because I don't know where they're going, whether they're going to get players or not. But in the division, Cubs aren't going to be great. Pirates are still going to be terrible. And the Brewers are going to be the chief competition for the Cardinals. And so if the Cardinals can build a team that can compete with Milwaukee, then my expectations are going to be fulfilled. From the 314, take it or leave it, the best pizza in St. Louis is Dewey's. Dewey's owned by uh, the DeWitt family. Mm -hmm. Very good. It is really good. I don't know if I would go there, but it's good. It's really good. The great thing about St. Louis is that whatever type of food you're looking for, there's several places that are tied for first. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking for good pizza, there's a lot of places that you could go. La Pizza on Del Mar? Very good. Really good. From the 618, take it or leave it, Trevor Story will sign a one-year deal this offseason to wait to be the top free agent shortstop next year. Leave it. I, I might take that. Because I understand that he might want more security and the more the money that comes with that. But, you know, he wants out of Colorado. You know, he's not at the top right now of the free agent crop. Maybe he's looking for a, a certain situation that will put him in a position to thrive and maybe position him to win. And that might be more attractive than signing with a team long term that he doesn't think has those other desirables. What if the offer is... 
four years and $85 million. Do you leave that sitting on the table? Depends on where it is. Yeah. If I'm a free agent, I'm not going to risk injury and the possibility of what happens with the, the new CBA and taking the chance that I can't. And granted, he might not sign until after the new CBA is mm-hmm. signed. But I, if, if I'm guaranteed money, I'm taking the bird in the hand. I completely understand that, but I also think he's in a bad situation now, a situation that he wants to get out of, and money will not be the only motivating factor. When you've been in a bad situation, sometimes you realize that money is, isn't everything, and you want to be in a position to win. You want to be in a franchise that, that you feel like you can well, thrive in. Once you have the money, like Arenado. It's sure. different once you have the money. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service, text line 65780. Fighting Illini football coach Brett Bielman next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Back to pass. Deep drop. Throwing it right over the middle. It's intercepted. Kirby Joseph has got it down to one knee. And the Illini are going to spring another upset. Yes, they did over the uh, University of Minnesota last week. And Brett Mielma's team is rolling now. And the head coach of the Fighting Illini joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brett, thanks so much for your time this morning and congratulations on that latest win. Thank you, Randy. Appreciate it. Join uh, a little bit of a bye week and then uh, jump into our last two weeks of the regular season uh, with uh, Iowa Northwestern. So a couple of big weeks in front of us. Coaches, I watch your team play. I, I sense that they're on an upward trajectory. And even when you don't come out on top, your team is playing pretty good, pretty clean football. How do you feel about in your first year, obviously uh, still early in the program's existence f- under you, how do you feel about the trajectory of the program right now? You know, um, I definitely have, have liked, uh, you know, the progress that we've made. Uh, some of the stuff is very visible on the field. Some of the stuff is things I see kind of, uh, on a daily basis here in the building, um, you know, as, as we all know, you, you notice these little details and these little things um, uh, that really don't become, uh, you know, in the in the light, uh, so to say, um, uh, as often as you'd want. But uh, I, I love the attitude. I love the demeanor. Um, we got a lot of really good players that uh, are, are starting to play their best football here at the end of the year, and that's what you obviously want. Coach, one component of your team that certainly made progress is the defense. They continue to take step forward, steps forward this season. Tell me about your defensive co- coordinator, Ryan Walters. What has he been able to do to get this defense to where it is? Michelle, he's just uh, really done a good job, I think, of you know playing uh, playing the players' strengths and minimizing their weaknesses. Uh, I, I think as a as a program, we always try to game plan around uh, you know what what does an opponent like to do? How do we make them play a little left handed? How do we how do we make them you know, do something they don't really love to do um, and force them down that path. But, uh, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, I think Ryan is able to relate to our players on a daily basis, not just not just on game day, uh, but we're going out to a Wednesday practice here uh, in about an hour and a half, and I think he just really has an, I- an idea of how to get those guys to ready to go on a Wednesday practice during the bye week just as much as he does for a Saturday game day. Uh, against Minnesota. Brett Bielma, head coach of the Fighting Illini, with us on 101 ESPN. How much recruiting takes place during the bye week? <laughs> you know, um, it, it is unique. We have two bye weeks uh, because of the uh, the game that we played in week zero, uh, which I love. Um, it, it, bye weeks are completely different than any other time of the season where you're into a normal game week where it's kind of you're pressing, you're pressing, you're pressing, just trying to get the game plan, install uh, practices. But 
Uh, I took off Sunday. Um, I was uh, in, uh, I believe, four different states Sunday and Monday. Uh, came back late Monday night. I uh, was with a couple coaches. Uh, we're, we're working pretty hard, diligent yesterday and t- uh, today. Uh, and Thursday we'll have an early morning practice with myself and the coordinators. But many of my assistants will will take off across the country and get in some some really good uh, recruiting days Thursday and Friday. So uh, it's a, it's a it's an awesome time because obviously the reception has become very very positive and getting some great feedback while we're on the road. And how about your players, Coach? You're coming off another big road win, another big upset, and now you have the bye week. Are you worried that that might disrupt momentum at all for your players? Well, it's, it's kind of a unique time, right? So, um, you know, the, the guys uh, definitely have, have done this before, right? The Penn State win, the, the thing that I kind of wanted them to hear in my message after the game was, hey, let's let's act like we've done this. Uh, we actually talked about it during the course of the week because when we're preparing for Minnesota in the, in the road game to go up there, I'm like, Listen, um, you know, obviously coming out of the Penn State game, we didn't handle it as well. We wanted the next week. So let's go up here, take care of business, and then act like we've been here. Um, and it's just been a lot of really positive things, uh, especially for some kids in the St. Louis area. I can't tell you, Isaiah Williams, the way he battled to get in the end zone on that first touchdown, um, uh, he definitely making St. Louis proud. And then I, I also uh, Keith Randolph and, and uh, um, you know, Shimon Cooper. There's just a lot of guys uh, from the St. Louis area that have, you know, to continue to shine out and and I think have their best football in front of them. As you look around and you spent some years in the pro game, but you've been a head coach and you've been a head coach within this region to Wisconsin. You recruited from St. Louis to Arkansas. You were right there on the border. How do we do in Missouri, in Southern Illinois, in terms of producing football players? Really good. Um, You know, the numbers are what they are. I think uh, the thing that attracted me to the Illinois job was, Obviously, the in-state talent of Illinois, not only, you know, everybody automatically from the outside world kind of gravitates towards Chicago, um, but there's a lot of really good players downstate in central Illinois and, and in the south. And then uh, to be so close to the, uh, uh, the the recruiting base of the St. Louis area on both sides and, and just good coaches, right? Like, they're good coaches. They care about their players. They got good program. Um, you know, when you get a young man in your program that's 18 years old, uh, by that time, he's kind of formulated, you know, kind of who he is, right? The way he works, the way he prepares, uh, a simple things about, you know, how he attacks the academics, how he how he treats women, you know, like the respect factor that he has for, for the people um, that aren't like him. Like, there's just a lot of variables that go into it. And uh, I, I've been a huge fan of the St. Louis area kids and downstate Illinois just because I've seen those things be important and the programs they grew up in, and that correlates into what we get then here at the program when we have them as a true freshman coming in the door. Coach, whenever I watch your team play, I always notice the physicality. So when I saw this quote from you, I said, oh, of course, that makes sense. I saw you say that you've been challenging your players that the most physical team would win the game. As you continue to build this program and develop the identity of what a Brett Bielma Illinois program is going to be, how important is physicality to you? It's important. Um, You know, one of the things that really – uh, you know, paid attention to in my our, our, my existence as a head coach is what do teams say about you before you play them and what do they say about you after you play them? And, you know, physicality isn't something that you can tap somebody on the head on Saturday and say, hey, let's go be physical today, right? Like you you really have to ingrain that into your DNA as part of who you are every day of your work, um, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, you can't fake it. You can't, uh, you know, just – give this persona, hey, we're going to be physical today. you got to live it. Uh, it's got to come out of your soul. So um, I think we're trending in that direction. And, you know, physicalness uh, and, ability to be, and ability to be physical doesn't 
just rely on on O linemen and D linemen and line of scrimmage players. Like uh, like I mentioned, Isaiah Williams. I made a point to the team. I showed that play uh, on on Sunday to our roster. Like, listen, here's the the guy that maybe in the uh, uh, physical department has the smallest weight, the uh, the, the shortest uh, uh, measuring stick, uh, but you can't measure his heart, and you can't measure his soul, and you can't measure his mind. And he was physically tough on that two yard play to get in the end zone uh, to get to pass two players that were unblocked. And and again, that's the physicality we talk about. It's different uh, from a Jordan Slaughter, right? Who uh, is unfortunately not with us this this spring or this fall because of an injury, but uh, he's a kid that uh, is, is showing physical toughness to me every day, and I think that'll show up even though he's not on the game field with us. I think this spring it'll show up in a big way. Brett, Michelle just talked about building an imprint, and we, we've talked about the culture that you're building. And I'm curious because when you took over at Wisconsin, Barry Alvarez had things going. He retired. You took over a a, a good program, took over at Arkansas. They had had some good years and then they were scandal ridden, but it it wasn't a program that, that had had four or five bad years in a row. How is rebuilding the culture at Illinois different than places where they've had recent success? Well, um, it's not just within your program, right? I I think the part that, uh, jumped out to me and the more time I spend here, it's just overall at the university, right? So it's, it's in the athletic department, it's in the academic department. It's, uh, it's in the, on the field on campus. It's, uh, in the, uh, the people that touch our, our players on a daily basis in the, uh, uh, support systems that they have, right? Like, um, when we beat Penn state on the road, people lost their mind, you know, like, I'm like, what, 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 we just beat a ranked team. Okay. Congratulations. Let's see what we do next. All right. And, um, we obviously had a setback against Rutgers, and 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 players are going to gravitate towards what they're being told and what they're being, uh, uh, you know, believed to be true. And we only get about a, you know a three or four hour window, four or five times a week here. We only get up for twenty hours a week. There's a lot of time outside of our program where they have outside influences telling them how good they are, what they did, and congratulations, like. We're not even close to where we need to be. Um, you know, I go back to when we beat Charlotte. Everybody's excited, and, and believe me, I know Charlotte's a good program and did it. But like, you know, I didn't come here. I'm sure they didn't come here as players to beat a non-power five team at home. We came here to win games in the Big Ten. Um, it shouldn't be the surprise when we beat a ranked team on the road. It should be more of the norm. And and I think when we get that across to not only our football team but everybody in this university and our fan base. Uh, that's when we'll begin to have sustained success. Something Josh Whitman and I have continued to talk well about. Um, a lot of conversation with Brad Underwood, our men's basketball coach, since he came here, the, the things he needed to do to get that culture to flip. And uh, It's a daily grind. It's one that's awesome, um, but it's going to take a little bit of time to get there. Coach, as you mentioned, bye week this week, but as we look forward to your next game, you have number 20, Iowa, on November 20th. As you look at Iowa, what are some challenges that the Hawkeyes present? You know, um, they're a team that's built on a lot of the same principles that, that uh, um, we believe in. I actually uh, was a coach under Kirk Ferentz uh, his first three years there at the university, so I know how he built that thing and what he's been able to sustain. Um, kind of a unique thing this weekend. They're playing Minnesota, right? So uh, to be on the heels of what we just played, uh, our players will be able to watch that game on Saturday as coaches uh, and kind of digest what they knew uh, they did last week and how it matches up against them. So kind of a, a nice break in the schedule there that we get to watch that. When we played Penn State during our bye week last last time, they actually had a bye week as well, so we didn't get a, a chance to watch them in the in, in the bye week. So this is kind of a really nice opportunity. Um, I got our guys locked into it. Today we'll 
we'll have a practice that about half of it will be on Iowa prep, about half of it will be on on good on good and, and getting better ourselves. Hey, Coach, one more thing from me. If you win two more games, you're bowl eligible. Is that something that you use as a carrot for the players that you even think about? You know, uh, Randy, from a uh, head coach's point of view, during bye week, you always kind of look at, at, at the world of uh, college football, you know. But when I began to hear the chatter of that, uh, you know, back several weeks ago, I just said literally, fellas, you know, to think about the end of the year is, is ridiculous because the only way we're going to get there is by doing what we have to do in front of us. So um, to get to that conversation, they got to take care of this week, right? Um, and by this week, I don't mean Iowa. I mean, they got to take care of this bye week we're in. If we don't get better this week, we don't have a chance next week. So um, we'll jump into our bye week preparation pretty good here yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Um, we'll, we'll get a little bit of a jump on Iowa. But Sunday, uh, it's going to be all about the black and gold. It's all going to be about what we need to do to have 74 guys go to Iowa City and play a, a Big Ten road game against a ranked opponent um, and, and see where we're at, at the end of it. Uh, but uh, I, I know they're hearing it from the outside world. They're not going to hear it from me. <laughs> I, I promise you I love to be the humbler. Um, and, uh, you know, if they start thinking about the end of the rainbow, they're definitely never going to get there. Coach, enjoy this bye week. Thanks so much for the time. We always like talking to you, and we'll do it again soon. Thank you, Randy. Thank you, Michelle. I I I That is the head coach of the Illini. Brett Bielma on 101 ESPN. I have to tell you, Coach just got me so fired up. When he was talking about the Penn State win and how everybody lost their minds, I can confirm that (laughs) I haven't seen my friends that excited about Illinois football in probably a decade. Maybe when the Lovey Smith hire came down Mm -hmm. because everybody thought that that was an aggressive and forward-thinking move. But to hear Coach say his response was, okay, what's next? Uh This shouldn't be that exciting. This should be the standard. That gets me fired up because that's exactly, I think, how a lot of Illinois alums feel the program should be. And I think the cool thing, if you are an Illinois fan, an Illinois grad, is that he's done it before. And the comp, obviously, is Eli and what's happening at Mizzou. I think one of the cool things about Brett Bielma is that he knows, we know that he knows how to win because he's done it at a high level before. He did a really good job at Wisconsin Arkansas, probably the decision to go to Arkansas wasn't the best, mm-hmm. but he uh, he did not fail them. They failed, failed him at Arkansas. He's a good coach, and he's going to get things going there, and I'm excited about it. I'm excited for you being Thank excited you. about it. It's been a long time. <laughs> Brett Bielma on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the Blues with a win over the Jets, but... Was it really a good win? Well, there's no such thing as a bad win, but we'll talk about what the Blues need to do better next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Works his way in. Good stick handling. They force. They shoot. They score. There it is, Joe. Jordan Cairo ties the game at two for the Blues. Captain now shooting for the Blues. O'Reilly weaves it in. Cuts down the middle. Waits, holds, shoots, score. What a backhanded shot under the bar and down. The Blues take the lead in the shootout. Now the Jets try to tie. Wheeler brings it in. Shoots it on. Bennington the save. And you can bring out the Zamboni. A shootout win for the Blues in Winnipeg tonight. You know, Benner is making unbelievable saves all game. And then same thing with overtime and especially shootout. You know, he really won that for us. 
You had Chris Kerber on the call, and you had Pavel Buchnevich. You have the Blues winning a game last night, 3-2, in a shootout over the Jets in a game the Blues very easily could have lost, Michelle. They did not play particularly well in the second and third period. I expected the Blues to lose that game. I'm very impressed, not only with Jordan Bennington's performance. I, I wanted to give him a standing O in my living room <laughs> last night, Randy. He was that good. But I'm very impressed with the way the Blues were able to sneak this win in because watching them in the second and third period, they were outshot. They looked overwhelmed. You just felt like the the loss for the Blues was almost mm-hmm. inevitable watching this one, but they come out with the victory. They played a good solid road period in the first outshot, Winnipeg 8-6, to six, then outshot 17-5 to five in the second period, 17-10 to 10 in the third, fortunate to get the tying goal before the third period was out and then win it in a shootout. Craig Bruby, what happened in the second and third? Well, we don't move the puck properly. Like we didn't move the puck very well um you know just through the neutral zone that's the biggest thing it's just uh you know a lot of times not predictable enough and not north enough it's like and you know we gotta we gotta just advance things especially on the road in the second period we got tough line changes we gotta just simplify and be more predictable but even with all of that said, Ruby's team found a way to come away with two points. Yeah, I think, you know, our team's pretty resilient. They're, um, they believe in what, the, you know, themselves. They believe in the team. And you're not you're going you're not to have games where it, it, it's perfect and it's going your way. You're going to have games where there's times that you just, you're outplayed and the other team is better, but you still can hang in there and find ways to win. And that's what we did tonight. There's two schools of thought that I have, Randy, on this game. First is I'm impressed that with missing key personnel and not having their best outing, that the Blues were able to somehow find a way to win this game. That's impressive to me that despite the obstacles that get thrown at them, this team consistently finds different ways to win games. Now on the other side of the coin, you cannot expect Jordan Bennington to give you that sort of performance every night. It's He was unbelievable last night. Some of the saves he made were truly remarkable, but it's unfair to A, put him in that position and B, expect him to answer the bell if you do put him in that position time and time. One thing that happened in the second half of 2019 and then before the pandemic in the 1920 season, Michelle, and I would bring this up to players and they agreed with me. I thought the Blues and this sounds strange. I thought they just became good at winning. They, they figured out, regardless of what was happening in the mm-hmm. game, how to win a game. And th- there's an art to that. There is, Because yeah. there's a lot of teams, that, and you mentioned it early on an hour ago, there's a lot of teams that don't find a way to win that game. And the, the Blues, for whatever reason, they, they can make a play, and then they get the goaltending, and they come up with the two points. And the Jets, who by all rights should have come up with the two points last night, they don't. And they're in the same division. For sure. But that is something that distinguishes good teams and great mm-hmm. teams. A great team finds a way to take take games that they should lose and, and turn it into a victory. Another cool thing about last night is that we, we always talk, and we're always going to talk, about the Stanley Cup championship team. But last night, you're First goal scored by Buchnevich from Cairo and Neal. None of those guys were here when the Blues won the Stanley Cup. Then you have Cairo from Buchnevich and Rosen to score your tying goal in the third. So you've got the new guys that are contributing at a very high level. And Jordan Cairo, with the good night, talked about the Blues getting outshot 17-5 in the second. Yeah, I mean, you know, Winnipeg's a good team. You know, it's, it's definitely, they're definitely hard to play against. You know, they're heavy teams. So, you know, we, we just kind of got away from, you know, winning the battles and stuff and, you know, just being harder on pucks and you know they kind of took over so 
they did for a while, but the Blues came away with a victory. Thank you, Jordan Biddington. Definitely would have lost the game, that's for sure. I mean, you know, Binner was making unbelievable saves all game, and then same thing with overtime and especially shootout, you know. He really won that for us. He won it for us. And that's right now, Michelle, I, I said it the other day with Curbs and I, all my hockey friends that I talked to, I said, hey, now when you're missing Krug and you're missing Shen and you're missing other guys because of COVID, uh, Nico Mikola is out. Mm-hmm. Biddington is the guy now. You're going to have to win games that you don't expect to win because you don't have the talent that you used to have a week ago. And Jordan Biddington stepped up big, big, big time. I think it was Jeremy Rutherford. I saw a tweet last night that the first, second, and third star of the game should all be Jordan Biddington. (laughs) (laughs) That's how impactful he was. And the Blues now in first place again in the Central Division. They and Minnesota have both played 11 games. The Blues have 17 points. Minnesota has 16. Winnipeg is two points behind the Blues, although the Blues have a game in hand on them. And Nashville and the Blues play the Predators tomorrow night. Six o'clock pregame here on 101 ESPN. Nashville 6-5-1 for 13 points, and they have played one more game than the Blues also. It's a Blues team. Pretty fun to watch. They are. They're really good. Even when they're not playing their best, they find a way to win. Pretty fun to watch. And I'll say this. We talk a lot about Vladimir Tarasenko and his success allowing him to perhaps get moved. You know who's really having a good year for himself is Craig Berube, mm-hmm. who's a free agent after this year. Oh, yeah, that's right. I keep forgetting about that. Yeah. So if he has another strong year and he doesn't sign an extension with the Blues, Barry Trotz did it a few years ago with the Capitals when they won the Stanley Cup. Can you imagine the market value if the Blues make it to the conference finals for Craig Berube? I'm kind of surprised the Blues didn't just nip that one in the butt and lock lock him up, make sure that extension was taken care of. Another Vladdy note, Randy, last night, I believe it was in the third period when Vladdy was driving to the net, and he obviously didn't capitalize on the chance, but just seeing him lean in and get that big body in front of the net, he's playing in a way, the physicality and the way that he's using his body, we haven't seen that in years, and it's really exciting to watch Vladdy be more the Vladimir Tarasenko that we know. Looks like he's confident in his health, right? I agree, yes. He doesn't feel like he's going to get hurt now when he tries to make a play. Good, great point. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. It's 813. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. That is today's fresh take. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> We were just talking about how much we hate email. I I might get 100 emails a day, Michelle. I bet I get more than that. I tell people, if you need me, text me or call me. Because if you email me, there's a good chance you're not going to get a response for a day. Maybe two. I just cannot sift through it all. It's too hard. It does become overwhelming. It's unbelievable. And I'm sure that everybody that's driving around feels the same way. Because there's so much spam Mm -hmm. out there, Mm -hmm. you just can't control it. My... One of my biggest pet peeves is when people put you on an email chain, a newsletter, some sort of update, and there's no unsubscribe button. Uh Uh-huh. Why did you add me to this when I can't get out of it? That is unfair. That's rude. I wouldn't do that to you. Why are you doing that to me? We need to block those. But then I think that person knows you blocked it. No, they don't. Yeah, because don't you get a bounce back, like undeliverable to Randy? Oh, it might be. And then, you know, they'll know. 
I did get an email yesterday that I have up right now with our 2022 holiday. So this one's important. We're off on New Year's Day, Michelle. Oh, we great. January 3rd for New Year's Day. So don't count on us being here New Year's Day, kids. Well, that's good because Lux from the Point learned from Casey and I are hosting a big New Year's Eve party down at Ballpark Village. There's going to be a lot of information about that coming. So I wasn't going to be here on New Year's Day anyway. So it's no, a good thing that we're off. It's the Monday, January 3rd. Okay, good. We aren't here. I'm very glad that we're good. I'm going to need a few days, I think, after that. You're killing me, Smalls. Rainy, a lot of conversation about the NFL's enhanced enforcement of taunting penalties. We talked earlier in the show about how Mike Tomlin, head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, surprisingly on board with enforcing taunting in the NFL. He thinks that they're trying to clean up the game, and he understands it. But I thought Ryan Clark had a very poignant perspective on taunting in the NFL. As somebody who's played at that level for a really long time, he was able to verbalize what I think a lot of players feel about this issue. I think you can't make this call subjective. If there's going to be certain rules or certain things that are officiated in this, they need to be definitive. I need to know that I can't stare at people. I need to know that I can't flex my muscles. I need to know that what I've worked my entire life to do, the thing that I've stayed up from 5 in the morning to midnight every single night, the thing that I've gotten therapy and needles stuck from my neck to my ankles, the reason I've been in cold tubs and hot tubs every single morning, and the reason I've ran through film 80 million times was because so I can make that one play. Mm. play. You mean to tell me on that one play I got to calm all that down that went into this because somebody who can't do what I do, who ain't never done what I've done Mm. and don't know what this feeling is like, gets offended by it. And I wish I freaking would. Couldn't have said it better. And obviously he has a perspective that his fellow former players have, Mm -hmm. but we can't relate to. But I look at it and I say, when you make a big play, how can you not celebrate? Because so much of what football is is based on emotion. Yes. How can you just suppress your emotions when, like he said, you put so much into making that one play? Well, that's remember the Nick Castellanos play. It was a bang bang play mm-hmm. yeah. at home play. Everybody was mad at him for flexing. Uh, who was the pitcher? Was it Woodford? Yeah. Uh, when he's flexing on Jake Woodford early in the Cardinal season, and a lot of people didn't like that. And my whole take on that was, in the heat of the moment, when you have adrenaline pumping and you make a play, a lot of times it's human nature. You can't necessarily control your response mm-hmm. in that moment. And to hear Ryan Clark talk about everything that's put into being able able to even be ready to play the game, let alone be able to execute a great play in the heat of the moment, especially in a game that is so energy driven and um, physical like the NFL. Sometimes you're not even thinking about it. Yes, a lot of celebrations are pre-orchestrated, but sometimes it's just your human nature. It's just the, the natural response that you have. Right. It's just being a competitor and winning and celebrating a victory, whether it's the one-on-one victory for a sack like Cassius Marsh did the other night or winning a game and having that game like C.D. Lamb. He, he got fined when he caught a game-winning touchdown pass for the Cowboys in overtime to beat the Patriots, and he got fined for waving at, waving goodbye at the Patriots. <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah, crazy. Absolutely ridiculous. Not only from an entertainment standpoint, but I think it's very unrealistic to ask these athletes who are in a very charged situation to censor themselves. Right. And there are guys... Barry Sanders always just handed the ball to the official. There are guys that have everything under control. But in an emotional sport, not everybody is going to have everything under control all the time.
You're killing me, Smalls. Randy, it's that time of year again. I'm about to reveal a very important announcement. Here we go. People have People Magazine. I know you love People Magazine. It's adorbs. They have revealed their sexiest man alive. They have? Do you want to go ahead and guess who it is? I'm going to go with Tom Brady. It was not Tom Brady. Okay. But I certainly think he might have been in the mix. He might have been a part of the conversation. Anyone else you'd like to throw in the ring? In the ring? Uh, Hmm. It, do, can I get a hint? Is it a sports person? This person loves sports. Derake. Drake. <laughs> Derake, no. Okay. It is not Drake. Okay, who is it? This person loves Midwestern sports. Not St. Louis, but Kansas City. Uh, Maybe that's a hint. Paul Rudd? It is Paul Rudd. Really? Paul Rudd was announced as People's Latest Sexiest Man Alive. It was announced on Stephen Colbert and... I wanted to get your take on this, on, on Paul Rudd being given this honor. He doesn't age. He looks the exact same yeah, as he, he did when he was in Clueless 20 years ago or however long yep. ago that was. But uh, I love that it's a, guy, a Kansas City guy who loves Kansas City sports who is now people's sexiest man alive. I almost came with Eric Stone Street. I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> but I think for the general male population, they like the fact that somebody looks at Paul Rudd Who's a funny guy? Who's not? He's not buff. He's not like the what we the would rock. expect exactly. Like For, he could be sitting next to you at a bar watching the game, right? Exactly. He's, he's and, one of you and joking right? around, right? So yeah, I'm totally on board with him being. The, I love the idea that he's the sexiest man alive. So do I. I thought it was a great selection. Yeah. Good for him and good for people. People in general or People Magazine? People Magazine. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. But it's good for people in general, too. I'm surprised that you didn't see this because I know that you go there to get the latest updates on Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez. And so I'm surprised you didn't see the subline. I just haven't had an opportunity. To, we had four games last night, Michelle. There yeah. were, was a lot going on. I a lot happening. Out. A lot happening. So, but uh, believe me, I will go through it throughout the course of today and I will... Uh, I'll celebrate. Uh, He and uh, Joe Buck are really good friends from their college days. I hung out with Paul Rudd one time. This is not a name drop thing. I was in New York City and I was... It wasn't just Paul Rudd either, was it? No, it was not. But I was at Foley's, which is a great baseball bar. Well, RIP Foley's because of the pandemic shutdown. But it was a great baseball bar, specifically a great Cardinals bar in New York City. Cardinals Cubs 2015 NLDS. I had just moved to the East Coast to work for ESPN. And some of my fellow St. Louisans, uh, Jennifer Feldman, who used to work at KSDK, was living in the city. And so I went in there to watch the game because I wanted to watch the game with people that cared, you know, people who were cheering for the Cardinals. And we were in this back area, and all of a sudden I get up to go to the restroom, and I bump into someone at the table next to me. And I'm like, oh, excuse me, I'm so sorry. It's John Hamm. And the next thing I know, later in the night, someone runs into the back room screaming, let's go Royals, who were also in the postseason at that time, plops down at the table, and it's Paul Rudd. And the two of them hung out with us and with the people in the back the entire time. They could not have been cooler or more normal, so I'm a big Paul Rudd fan. Just a guy that loves baseball and loves Kansas City. And by the way, as an aside, we should point out that, and I'll ask the females in the audience here, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because of the fact that people has anointed Paul Rudd as the sexiest man alive, does he need to utilize his go-to cologne, Sex Panther, anymore? I would think that Sex Panther helped him get here. Okay. So why quit on what helped you get to where you are? Okay, I'm, I'm good with that. Right? Don't yeah. you think? Yeah. Emily, you buy in with that? 
I didn't even know he had a cologne, to be completely oh, yeah. honest. Yes. Um, uh, I think he can win on his looks yeah. alone, though. Yep. <laughs> 60% of the time. It works half the time. You're killing me, Small. Well, the guy that you thought should have gotten the award, Tom Brady, is not too pleased with the NFL. Tom Brady isn't happy. He's not happy that he has to play another game this year. This guy's getting up there in age. He doesn't want to have to play an extra game. He was not pumped that the NFL added that 17th game to the regular season schedule. He was on the Let's Go podcast this week, and here's what he said. He goes, I think it's pointless. I thought it was a terrible decision. So I don't like the fact that we're playing a 17th game at all. I think 16 is plenty. You're eight games into the year. You're not even halfway through. So that's kind of a frustration aspect. Whatever. We'll play it. It's there. He's a guy that's played 19 a million times. Why does he care? (laughs) Because I'm sure what it takes for him to get physically ready to play isn't the same as it was 20 years ago. And to add another game to that. Nobody touches him. Still, Randy, he's in his 40s. Yeah, but for him to get the big money, they need to play that extra game. NFL owners, they got to put food on the table. That's true. I mean, they are struggling. Yeah. You know what? They got some legal bills they might have to get some extra money for. Did you see that East Stanley bought a new Beverly Hills manse for $23 million or something? He bought a new manse in, in Beverly Hills? In Beverly Hills, yeah. Gross. Yeah, right near Rodeo Drive. Do you think after the lawsuit it might go into foreclosure? <laughs> I could see that. Or great. maybe he'll have to do something with Dodie Fayed's former house. Do you think that the people around him think this is a Beverly Hillbillies type situation? Totally. He's Jack Clampett. Yeah, yep. this Missouri guy coming in, buying this Beverly Hills man. Yeah. He is probably the worst neighbor. Good luck if you need a cup of sugar. Oh, that ain't happening. Good, good luck if the noise is too loud and you need to talk to your neighbor about that. Yeah. That's... He's not waving at you when you're going down the street or if you're walking your dog. I promise you that. By the way, just we haven't talked about this at length, and we won't talk about it at length today, but is it bad form to buy a house because somebody died, like he did with his... Dodi Fayed dies in the, the car accident with Diana. Yes. And Kroenke jumps on buying his house. Is that bad form? I I don't think so, because Dodi doesn't need it anymore. Yeah, but he knew it was going to be cheap. It's, it's, you know I, what I'm saying? He, he's an opportunist, I guess. I, I look for any chance to rip him, but if the the owner is deceased, I think that is fair game. So anyway, Stan is in Beverly Hills and walking around Rodeo Drive. and I oftentimes get stopped in Los Angeles and they'll go, are you that guy? You assholes go back to St. Louis. So that's what happens when he's walking around outside his new mansion in Beverly Hills. Except we don't want him back here. Well... Why, why do you think that would be? Well, I told everyone in the room today that I have not been able to understand the emotion since 2002. And you know, one of the other things that happens, you, you get more towards Santa Monica and you, you aren't dealing with the same clientele that you're dealing with on Rodeo Drive, Michelle. Well, without getting into all the details of it, I mean, dealing with people with lower incomes wasn't something I particularly <laughs> look forward to, frankly. That's the best one. <laughs> Because it's so true. <laughs> That's the best one because I can absolutely see him saying that and not in an audio mashup. <laughs> Thanks, Michelle. You got it. Coming up next, the fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. Blue Corner, the undisputed 
Clarence Mallman here on 101 ESPN. It's 837, that time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Today is just flying by. The show is just absolutely flying by today. And it's time for the fight. Randy's competition this morning is Zachary. Good morning, Zachary. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. So does anyone call you Zach or is it strictly Zachary? Uh, m- most everybody calls me Zach. But not today. Today you wanted to go with the more formal Zachary. Yeah, I'm feeling good today. That's why I went with Zachary. Oh, I love it. I love that you're feeling good. You're going to need that versus Randy. Are you ready to go, Zachary? Yes, I am. All right, question number one. Who is the only player in American and National League history to both throw 100 complete games and record 100 saves? Is it John Smoltz, Dennis Eckersley, or Walter Johnson? What was that second name? The options are John Smoltz, Dennis Eckersley, or Walter Johnson. I'm going to go with Dennis. Shane Bieber was Uh, the... Do you need to... Was that your final answer? Yes, yes, sir. Shane Bieber was the last unanimous Cy Young winner winning the AL Cy Young in 2020. Who was the most recent NL Cy Young winner? The most recent unanimous, rather, NL Cy Young winner. Was it Clayton Kershaw, Max Scherzer, or Jacob DeGrom? Uh, Max Scherzer. Question number three for Zachary. Happy 67th birthday to former Cardinal Jack Clark. Though he isn't a Cardinals Hall of Famer, Clark is in one team's Hall or Wall of Fame. Which team is that? Is it the San Diego Padres, the Boston Red Sox, or the San Francisco Giants? Um, the Giants. And Mariano Rivera is MLB's all-time saves leader with 652 saves. Who is the active saves leader in MLB? Is it Craig Kimbrell, Kenley Jansen, or Araldis Chapman? Um, I, I think Craig Kimbrell. Final answer? Yes. All right, checking our score, waving in Randy. He's ch- he's chit chatting in the hall, trying to get his attention. Come on in, Randy. All right, Zachary. You said you were feeling good, which is why you went with the full name today. After you've taken the fight, does that confidence hold up? No, not at all. No, not at all. Well, you should be no. confident. You did a good job. I can't reveal your final score, but you did a good job, uh, Randy. You should know that Zachary, who's on the line with us, did a, he had a very good showing in the fight today. Zachary, I'm, I'm proud you. of you. That's good to hear. How are you doing this morning? Good. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Are you ready, sir? I'm ready. Question number one. Who is the only player in American and National League history to both throw 100 complete games and record 100 saves? 100 complete games and 100 saves. It seems to me that the only guy that would fit that mold would be John Smoltz. By the way, I guess we should tell it because I kind of forgot. Uh, John Lester is going to retire. Oh, yeah. We should have announced that. News breaking. Apparently official. You heard it here first. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Shane Bieber was the last unanimous Cy Young winner winning the AL Cy Young in 2020. Who was the most recent unanimous NL Cy Young winner? Shane Bieber did it in 2020. I'm going to go with, and this is just a guess, but it sounds like I can be reasonably sure that this will be at least on the list. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go with Clayton Kershaw. Pretty good guess. Yeah. You're going to guess one guy. Yeah. 
He might be one of two, maybe, that you mm-hmm. think of. Question number three, happy 67th birthday to former Cardinal Jack Clark. Though he isn't a Cardinals Hall of Famer, Clark is in one team's hall or wall of fame. Which team is that? Almost has to be the uh, Giants, because I don't think it's with the Red Sox or the Yankees or the Padres, who he was with after he left here. So he was a really good player for the Giants. I'm going to go San Francisco Giants. Last question. Mariano Rivera is MLB's all-time saves leader with 652 saves. Mm -hmm. Who is the active saves leader in Major League Baseball? Oh, this is a fun question. Active saves leader. All right. Again, I'm just going to go with a guy that I'm probably pretty sure is on the list and is regarded by many as the best reliever of all time. I'm going to go with Craig Kimbrell. Okay. Randy, no lifeline today. No. You have a tie. All right. Zachary and Randy have tied. Both of them got three correct. Good showing from both of you. See, Zachary, I told you, you you should have had that confidence. (laughs) All right, so here's what's going to happen, gentlemen. We're going to the tiebreaker round. I'm going to read the tiebreaker question. Randy's going to write his answer down on a sheet of paper on his Edward Jones dome pad. I'm telling you, you never run out of those. I found more. I'm going to have them for the rest of my career. Can I have one? Yes. I'm just asking. I've got got multiple brand new ones. Because people don't understand the quality of that paper. The quality of the product on the field at the Edward Jones Dome, not great. The quality of the paper in the press box, outstanding. One of my favorite late, late in their run here events at the Dome was when they lit it on fire. Remember when they lit the turf on fire? Oh, yeah, I do. Delayed the game? The fireworks or the uh, when they were running out of the time. Yeah, Yeah, introductions. Yeah. Okay. It, it was a dumpster fire for a long time. Might as well be actually on fire. Okay, anyway, Zachary, I'm going to read the tiebreaker question. Randy's going to write it down. You're going to get first crack at it. We're going to give you about 10 seconds to reveal your answer. Randy will share with us what he wrote down on the piece of paper. First to get it correct or closest to the pin wins. Zachary, are you ready? Yes, I am. Randy, are you ready? Ready. All right. Here is your tiebreaker question. How many total yards did Patrick Mahomes have in Super Bowl 54 against the 49ers? How many total yards did Patrick Mahomes have in Super Bowl 54 against the 49ers? Okay, I'm going to go. This is like passing and rushing, correct? Correct. Okay, I'm going to go with... uh... Randy's writing it down. Okay. Zachary, whenever you're ready. Randy, show me what you got. Okay, I'm writing it down. Uh, I I think I'm I'm ready. Okay, go ahead, Zachary. Uh, I think he it was close to around 300, and I want to say 50 or yeah, 50. Final answer: 350. Yes. Randy, your final answer is 375. Whew. Is it Zachary or is it Randy, aka Megamind? Emily, let him know. The winner and new champion of the fight, Average Joe Listener. Brought to you by Optical Expressions, providing St. Louis with top quality eye care and eyewear since 1997. Congratulations, Zachary. Good thing you went with your, the full name today. You came in hot with the full name. You are our champion. You beat Randy. You were closest to the pin, which we'll reveal here in a second. Let's go back to the top, though. So the only player in American and National League history to both throw 100 complete games and record 100 saves is Dennis Eckersley. He has 100 complete games and 390 saves. So it's Dennis Eckersley on that one. The most unanimous recent National League Cy Young winner is, in fact, Clayton Kershaw back in 2014. 
2014. He also won the National League MVP award. Jack Clark is in the San Francisco Giants inaugural Hall slash Wall of Fame class in 2008. And the active saves leader in Major League Baseball is Craig Kimbrell, 372 saves, which brings us to the tiebreaker, which was how many total yards did Patrick Mahomes have in Super Bowl 54 against the 49ers? Zachary guessed 350. Randy guessed 375. It was a showcase showdown. Zachary was closest to the pin, which was 315. 286 passing yards and 29 rushing. So, Zachary, congratulations. You take home the victory today. You're one step closer to the Hall of Fame, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. All right. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Zachary. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. Darius Robinson, defensive lineman for Mizzou. They're getting ready to take on South Carolina this weekend. And Darius will join us next on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. That's Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker. It is Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. And Mizzou is back in action at Faroe Field on Saturday, a 3 o'clock game against South Carolina. And joining us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line is Mizzou defensive lineman Darius Robinson. Good morning, sir. Thanks for taking some time with us. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Good morning to you guys as well. Hey, I want to start with this because we always hear it, how tough it is week after week after week when you're playing in the SEC, can you give us an idea of what it's like when you when you have to play the games that you play every week? Uh, it's definitely it's a lot, like physically and mentally. You know, you're playing against some of the biggest guys and the strongest guys in the country, so you have to make sure you take care of your body uh, week in and week out because there's so many weeks and you have to be as fresh as you possibly can be for Saturday. But it's definitely very intense. But you just have to make sure you take the right preparation to each and every week. But I'm sure that level of competition and the environments that you go into is part of the reason why you wanted to go to Mizzou. Darius, in reading about you last night, I love to find out what other schools were options for players and why they chose a specific school. But you had a ton of other options. You had Michigan on the table, Minnesota, Colorado, Purdue, Wisconsin, Michigan State. You had a ton of options, but you chose to go to Columbia. What was it about Mizzou that made you want to go there? Um, it was a lot of things, honestly, because my story is so different. Like, being from Michigan, and, you know, I had the opportunity to play at either Michigan Michigan State, but I just didn't feel like that was the best fit for me at the time. And I felt like Mizzou offered a lot of different things as far as playing in the SEC, playing under um, my old coaching staff and all those different factors. And it just led me to Mizzou, and, you know, I definitely enjoyed being here. And Darius, from a football standpoint, it seems like, and playing the number one team in the country is not easy, it seems like there is an ascent happening that Steve Wilk's system is finally being able to take some shape here. Can you tell us about what it's been like to get the new system and then try to adapt and get it going? Uh, it's definitely been a lot of challenges, but there's definitely been a lot of positives to it because we started with Coach Wilkes here in the spring and we're just learning and learning going against our offense every day and now like with the season we're just going against the different offenses every offense is different each and every week but I think Coach Wilkes is doing a good job of getting everybody to buy in and understand their responsibilities to the defense so that we can all fit in the right place and 
be able to get off the field and help our team out. And Darius, from your personal perspective, you got a new position coach during the course of the season in Al Davis. How has that changed for you? Uh, it's definitely been a lot of changes, but I think it's worked out really well. I think Coach Drink was very wise, and he understood what we needed in our room. And that's not to say uh, Coach Jeffro was not the right guy for us, but Coach Drink was able to bring Al and uh, get us going. He got us playing really well right now, and we're just really confident in him and thankful for him and just grateful to be able to learn from him each and every day. Darius, what the media and the fans get to see from Coach Drink, he seems like he's got a great personality, a lot of energy. What's he like behind the scenes? Give us a scouting report of what your coach is like day in and day out. What's crazy behind the scenes is really just like kind of like the same guy, but he's just really like, Calm, collective, like you can really go upstairs, you can talk to him about anything, you can laugh, like you can just like be yourself. It's not like a lot of people think like with a head coach it has to be strict and a strict uh way of talking to each other, stuff like that. But with Coach Drink, he try to make, tries to make it a family environment so everybody's comfortable with each other. So he's just always a real positive guy, easy to talk to and he's just a cool guy in general, to be honest. Yeah, we get that vibe. I, I sense that from him. Well, looking at the schedule next, you, you guys have South Carolina. As you're preparing for this game, what sort of challenges do they present? Um, I think they present the challenge with the running backs. They have three really good running backs. And, you know, we have to do a great job of stopping the run. And then also their quarterback, he can really air the ball out and get the ball downfield. So I have to make sure the D-line where rushing really well and get them off the spot and just cause some pressure. But I think South Carolina is, uh, has a really good offense, and, you know, I'm excited to go compete on Saturday. Mizzou defensive lineman Darius Robinson with us on 101 ESPN. i got to ask you about your high school career because you played tight end. How much do you miss getting your hands on the ball, having it thrown to you? <laughs> well, it's funny. In my high school, we ran the wing tee, so we ran <laughs> the ball like – Every play, and I only think I caught the ball maybe two, three times, but uh, I definitely remember the chance of two, three times. It was real fun, for sure. I see your athleticism, though, six five two ninety. Now, that would be a big tight end. I have every reason to believe that if we if we line Darius Robinson up at tight end, you're going to catch a touchdown pass at some point. Oh, yeah, I could. I got I to got talk because drink about that. <laughs> and then what about your <laughs> basketball career? How good of a basketball player were you? Uh, I was a pretty good basketball player, but the thing is, the guys in my high school, uh, two of them, they were really, really good. So I knew my role on the team was to get the rebounds and make sure they got the ball. But I didn't mind because I knew, you know, football was my sport. But I was pretty good at basketball. I just had a lot of fun just every day just going to practice and stuff. Hey, Darius, one other thing, and we know you have to get to class. And Michelle and I were talking about this before we brought you on. We look at you and we see you play on Saturdays and we forget that you guys have to go to class. Is it almost like having two full-time jobs, committing yourself to football and to your academics? I definitely think it's like a full-time job. Like, I think if you add up all the hours you spend at the facility and then spend on schoolwork, like, you just wonder, like, how do guys sleep at night? Because it's just so much, so many different components to this lifestyle. But at the end of the day, it is a blessing because we're able to get a free education and be able to play our dreams in the SEC and play football at this level. So it's a blessing, but it's definitely a lot of work. Well, Darius, what class are you go- going to? Uh, I got marketing with uh, Professor Neiman. He's a real good professor. Uh, I learn a lot from him every Monday and Wednesday. 
I'm sure as a football player that a marketing class is a very valuable class, especially no right doubt. now in the landscape of college football. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I definitely t- uh, pay attention and take my notes. And, yeah, you definitely learn a lot in the marketing class. Good for you. Well, we'll let you get to that marketing class. Darius, thanks so much for taking some time with us today. We do appreciate it. And go get them against South Carolina on Saturday. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Darius Robinson, Mizzou defensive lineman, joining us on 101 ESPN. It's a very unique college experience for these athletes. Think about what Darius just said. He's trying to do an interview with 101 ESPN in St. Louis and then get to marketing class on time and then get to practice and watch film and study the playbook. And it's just a lot of hours that get put into this. And we forget about the academic side of this. Oh, and the fact that they have to sleep at some point. Right. If you would have been a an athlete that wanted to play on the collegiate level. If you aren't aware of it, Michelle was like a preeminent soccer no, player at Belleville Altuff. She was awesome. Uh, recruited nationally. <laughs> but you didn't want to play. But if you w- would no, have I wanted, wanted to, to party. Play, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you would have wanted to play, like Darius left home. He could have gone to Michigan, Michigan State, mm-hmm. but came to Mizzou. Would you have been somebody who would have wanted to play near home or would you have wanted to go away like he did? Well, I think like a lot of college athletes, I would have thought, what is the best situation for me? Where can I play? Where can I potentially win? Um, I would imagine weather might have played a factor, mm-hmm. even though I ended up going to Illinois, <laughs> didn't go to a warm weather place. But if if you're playing in college and the best situation for you is near home, why wouldn't you want your family to have the opportunity to see you play? My personality lends itself towards staying closer to home, too. I think especially at that time in my life, 17, 18 years old, I don't think there's any doubt that I would have stayed close to home. Well, just in college in general, I wanted to go far away. I looked at NYU. I went to Gainesville. I visited mm-hmm. Pepperdine. I thought I was going to go super far away. Mm-hmm. And then I just happened to visit a friend at Illinois. There was myself and three of my girlfriends from high school. We all went up to Illinois for a weekend. I'll never forget it, Randy. It was a crisp oct- October day. The leaves had changed. I remember going to a football game, hanging out afterwards, maybe some late night extracurricular activities. All four of us went to Illinois. I fell in love with it the second I got there. It was not even a decision for me. I applied to Illinois early. I was like, this is it. We're done. And it literally is more than a four-year decision. It becomes, as Lou Holtz would say, a 40-year decision. I've got a meeting at Lindenwood today. There you go. So uh, I'm still on board with the Lindenwood Lions. Go Lions. you got to trust your gut. You'll know what's Right. right for you. No doubt about it. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up next, today's big thing. Is baseball in trouble if they decide to not play in 2020? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's 9.02 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And the folks at The Athletic do a great job of covering baseball all the time. And in a recent piece at The Athletic, Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellich write that the union for Major League Baseball has proposed a new idea for a CBA to the owners. It's their second offer. One person briefed on the union's proposal suggested that significant movement on either side likely won't happen until later in the month. Quote, everything will come together in the last 72 hours, or more likely not, the person said, and we'll see where it goes from there. The current CBA expires at 11.59 p.m. on December 1st. If a deal is not reached by then... 
the owners are likely to lock out the players. And, Michelle, that would create the sport's first work stoppage since the 1994-95 strike. Which is not a good thing for baseball. I really hope that it does come together in those 72 hours before the deadline. But the clock is ticking. Based on what we've seen out of baseball and out of the players' union and the owners, especially during the pandemic when there was so much infighting, kind of a precursor to what we're expecting with these CBA discussions, I don't expect them to come together and come to the table and find a compromise or find a situation that works for both parties. It seems like the animosity is so deeply rooted in both sides that I think baseball is headed in a bad place. And I wonder if they realize how potentially detrimental it could be to their product as a whole. I don't know that they're aware enough as you would say, to read the room and understand where they sit in the landscape of professional sports. They're already smart enough to recognize that they should not try to compete against college football or the NFL during the fall Mm -hmm. for TV eyes. Yes, they do own the summer, but do they take advantage of it? I don't really think the baseball does. And I'm like you. If they don't play they will be out of sight, out of mind, and people will find other things to do in a big hurry. So I was thinking about this over the weekend, Randy, about where baseball sits in the hierarchy of sports in America. And I would say the NFL is number one. NBA is number two. And if let's remove college football mm-hmm. from the equation. We're talking professional athletes. I would say baseball is number three, right? Yeah. Well, when they're looking at the two leagues before them, I was thinking, what component of these leagues is critical to the vitality of the sport as a whole? I would say with the NFL, it's star quarterbacks. and Because you could talk quarterbacks 365 days a year and people are going to listen. Right. And people are going to tune in. It is a very much star-driven quarterback league. I would say number two, it's a two-pronged approach for me for the NFL. It's gambling. It's fantasy football. Mm-hmm. People yep, love totally. being involved. You're going to watch games that you have no rooting interest in that all of a sudden you have a rooting interest in because of your fantasy football team. And it's much easier to manage a fantasy football team or gamble on the NFL when you only have a specific slate of games every week. It's, it's just much more palatable and easier to consume. When I look at the NBA, I I have to think it's transactions. When you think about the way that the NBA is now, there's stars changing teams all the time. And it's such a transactional league that I think that pulls in even a casual fan to the NBA. And when I think about baseball, they don't really have that. Yes, they have the trade deadline, and this year it was certainly exciting, but other years it's fallen flat. They do not have the star power that either of the other two leagues does. So I kept thinking about it. What brings people back to baseball? And it's their loyalty to the sport and to their city. Mm -hmm. A lot of people watch baseball because they grew up watching baseball, because it's ingrained in them to go to games and to watch baseball. I think if you're somebody who is outside of a baseball market, you're not throwing baseball on. You're not going to be a casual baseball fan. The loyalty of the consumer to the product is what keeps baseball running. And if you're going to consistently take that for granted or test the loyalty of your viewer or listener in today's day and age, when we have a buffet of options from a content standpoint available to us 24 7, 365, I think you're really, really in a dangerous spot. And I would go a step further, even though baseball does get great local TV ratings and As recently as a couple of years ago, and I think this changed with the pandemic, but as recently as the 2019 season, every single Major League Baseball market had baseball as its number one TV show during the summer. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about that loyalty, that's 100% right. But 
in my opinion, there might be a half dozen baseball markets with really loyal fans that are going to show up all the time. St. Louis, obviously. Cubs, Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers. Giants. Giants, people left. They had a couple of bad years, and they didn't show up again until they started winning again. Well, I'm going to even test you on your Cardinals theory, because until they won on a 17-game winning streak, we saw a lot of empty seats at Bush Stadium this summer. It was shocking. We talked about it a lot. So how loyal really are baseball fans? And with the condensation of schedules, we have hockey and NBA free agency right at the 1st of July, and those are action-packed days. You've got... The NBA and NHL seasons going longer than they ever have. They're going into mid-June. And then in mid-July is when NFL and college football training camp starts. So baseball really has a grasp, a, a, a singular grasp on the American sports fans' consciousness for a month, mm-hmm. month and a half. And it would be really easy for a lot of people in this country to walk away from baseball and find other things to do during the time from mid-June to mid-July. Well, I look at our market as a very interesting test study here because this was a very passionate NFL market. And the Rams left. We don't have a team here. And a lot of people, I think, in that first year to maybe three years that the Rams were gone, they might have hate-watched the Rams Mm -hmm. or they watched the NFL because it was part of their routine. It was in their muscle memory every Sunday to dedicate themselves to watching the NFL. And now most people I know in St. Louis, Randy, they have a fantasy team. They don't really have a team that they love, but their habits have changed. And I think if anger is a motivating factor to make you change those habits, if you're turning off baseball because you're angry at the owners or you're angry at the players or you're angry at the infighting, it's going to take you a while to come back or it's going to take something really exciting to win you back and I don't know if the product itself is going to be that exciting for a lot of people. There is nothing that baseball would have that would bring people back. When the 1994-95 strike occurred, you had Cal Ripken Jr. going after Lou Gehrig's streak. And that brought some eyes back to the sport. But the one thing that brought everybody back, as we all know, was the great home run race of 1998. Mm -hmm. Nobody would care about a home run race now because... The record is A, tainted, and B, it's it hasn't been around for a long time. The record that Roger Maris held was held for 37 years. The record that Barry Bonds set, and a lot of people believe it's a tainted record of 73 home runs, was set 20 years ago, and people don't have good memories of it. It's not nostalgic. Yeah. I don't think there's a single thing that baseball would have that would enthrall the country. I Not one. Pat Patrick Mahomes can enthrall the country. Mm-hmm. LeBron James in his prime could enthrall the country. I think even if you look at the NHL, especially on ESPN, a guy like Connor McDavid can bring eyes to the sport. What could possibly be exciting about baseball that would get millions of people to watch it? Well, I think even this season we saw Shohei Otani, who mm-hmm. is a, f- a phenom. He's something that we as a sports fandom have never seen before. And I still don't even know if he was enough to make people who weren't baseball fans turn on their TVs and watch him play. No, no they didn't. He wasn't on national TV that much. And he didn't have a good second half of the season, even though he will ostensibly be the American League's most valuable player. And he's hard to find because he's on the West Coast. He's in Anaheim. You you really have to make an effort to find Shohei Otani on TV. You don't have to make an effort to find Mahomes, to find LeBron mm-hmm. on TV. 
And what you need to do if you're baseball is try to make yourself a destination. And that's impossible to do if you don't have a sport for people to watch. You need to have the sport available for people to watch Shohei Otani because, as we saw here, after the 94 strike and around the country, people quit on baseball. And if they quit on baseball now, I don't see something bringing them back. And the thing I think that baseball fails to realize about their fans, it takes an incredible commitment to be a baseball fan. If you love the Cardinals, you are committed to the Cardinals. The NFL, you give them, what, three hours once a week? That's manageable. That's nothing in the drop of your week. It's an escape. Yes, you're reading about the team and you're invested from a time commitment, but that's it's not the game. If you're committed to watching or listening to every single Cardinals game and reading about your team and giving them money, it's a commitment unlike any other sport. And so I just cannot believe that baseball, where when you're looking at constant ways to be a more entertaining product and to be a more star-driven product and how do we fix the game, if you know inherently that there's issues facing your sport, why are you going to cause more issues and potentially alienate what is a really loyal fan base? Not only do they need to keep playing then they need to totally embrace gambling oh, because that's sure. the only way. Because right now, without gambling, the way people are consuming, the way young people are consuming baseball is rather than watching for three and a half hours at night, they're waking up and looking at the condensed version for three and a half minutes on their phone mm-hmm. in the morning. And there's no good way to monetize that. So baseball... Aside from fixing their collective bargaining situation, they need to keep playing, but they also need to find a way to make their sport more exciting. And you know how you don't make it more exciting? If you don't play. No. And no union and ownership is more vocal and leaks more about their disagreements than baseball does. You never hear about disagreements between basketball and the league or even now football and the and you hear the, the Tom Brady sometimes saying, "Ah, well we'll play 17 games. We don't really want to." But you don't hear off the record blasts of one another from those unions. You never hear anything about the NHL. No. They just announced that an agreement has been made. Yep, and then we're going to keep playing for the next Mm -hmm. five years. Because they get it. The NHL gets it. And we'll find out here in the next couple of months whether or not baseball does, especially under Rob Manfred, because this this is another legacy issue for Rob Manfred. Do you think after his um, hunk of metal comments were taken so poorly that maybe he is looking to get this done because he understands that this is something that's going to be part of his legacy and he sees how the approach that happened in 2020 was not beneficial for him and not beneficial for baseball. Yeah, his legacy really does hinge on whether or not they play and no owner wants to play more than the Godfather does. I do think there's a very good chance by the way, Buster only called Bill DeWitt Jr. the Godfather of baseball. (laughs) So that's why I say that. I think if if he truly is the godfather of baseball, we'll be playing. Come on, Bill. Do it for us. Do it for baseball. Don't mess up our spring training trip. That's all I got to say. I will be furious if we finally get the chance to go to spring training. <laughs> baseball is not happening. Oh, man. Yeah, now it's personal. <laughs> yeah. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Next up, Bernie Federko will join us in the Blues booth with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
We always enjoy having Hall of Famers on Carriker and Smallman and the Hall of Famer Bernie Federko, analyst for Valley Sports, joins us every Wednesday here on 101 ESPN. And we always appreciate Bernie's time. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? Good morning, Randy. I'm doing great. Thanks. Hey, a uh, 3-2 win last night. I guess it's one of those situations, Bernie, where we say, okay, we'll just we'll take the two points. Yeah, you know what? That's what a goaltender is for. <laughs> Sometimes you have nights that things aren't going well and your goaltender has to stand on his head, and that's exactly what Bennington has done uh, for a number of games now, and uh, uh, that's the, the, the beauty of a team sport. You can have a letdown. If someone is really on top of their game, they can, they can pull it off, and I think that's what Bennington did last night. Bernie, that was one of the more remarkable performances we've seen out of Jordan Bennington. Obviously, he had some great games in the postseason, including in the Stanley Cup Final, but where does that game rank for you? Well, he's just, I mean, Michelle, he's at the point now where I, nothing surprises me out of him. I mean, he is just so focused all the time. I mean, last night, I think it was more the most acrobatic that I've seen him. I mean, usually he's so uh, in position that he doesn't have to move much. It makes the game look so simple. But last night was a little different. Uh, he was made it look simple, but when he had to make the really hard saves, he was able to move across. So, yeah, I would rank that up as one of the best that I've seen him play since, since he uh, has been a member of the Blues. Bernie, it looks like Braden Shen is going to be out for a while. How do the Blues overcome his loss? He's obviously an important part. So when he's not around, how do they still win without him? Well, I think it's a team sport, Randy. I think that you look at the depth of this hockey club. I think that Barbashev has done a really good job moving into the center ice position. You know, I, I expect that Sunquist is going to be back in in a not too distant future now. So you got two center icemen right there. Um, you know what? I think Bozak has done a really good job, obviously, with uh, filling in whether he's on the third or the fourth line or whatever he needs to be. But uh, you still have uh, Robert Thomas, who seems to be getting better and better. You've got O'Reilly. So I think up the middle, uh, the Blues are pretty a pretty strong team. I mean, let's not forget that Shen uh, played left wing every once in a while, too, over the course of the last uh, couple of years that he's been here because of the depth that the Blues have had at center. So uh, I think that it's just uh, next guy in line is going to have to step it up. And certainly uh, Braden Shen is one of those guys that you're going to miss because of the way he plays, the leadership that he provides and uh, the extra a zip that he brings because he loves to run over people. He likes to finish his checks and this and that. So I think you're going to miss that that element. But but certainly I think that the strength up the middle is, is pretty still strong with the Blues. Bernie, I believe it was in the third period last night. Vladimir Tarasenko had a chance. He was driving to the net. He didn't end up with the goal. But it's just great to see him be able to get his big body in, in front of the net. And Randy and I were talking early, earlier in the show. It seems like it's the first time we're really seeing Vladimir Tarasenko trust his health and trust his body in a few years. And as a player, that has to be such relief. Yeah, I think so, Michelle. I mean, uh, putting his shoulder down, putting his you know body in, into things, and, and and really driving for the net. I mean, we saw him do that when he was very successful and when he was healthy. And over the last couple of years, I think he was maybe afraid to do that because he was afraid that the shoulder was going to pop out again on him. But uh, yes, over the course of the last, in fact, all year, Michelle, I've, I've noticed that he's much more physical. I think he's using his, his big, strong body a lot more than he has over the course of the last couple of years. So yeah, it's, it's a good sign. And and uh, what's going to happen? I don't know. I mean. I still, there's a situation there brewing too that uh, if he's not going to be happy, will they make a move for him? But he, I don't think he's really playing any differently. I think he he's showing the Blues that that he can play, and if he's not just showing the Blues, he's showing the rest of the league that that he can play. And if someone wants to make a deal for him, I guess that that would be available. But I think the way he's playing right now, he's certainly helping the Blues. 
Bernie Federko with us on 101 ESPN. And Bernie, I'm not, I don't want people to think that I am going to put Robert Thomas in the Hall of Fame here with this comparison. But you played with a guy who got better and better. He started here when he was 20 years old, played both ends of the ice like Thomas is doing right now. Uh, are there comparisons to what Robert Thomas is doing in his ascent to what happened with Doug Gilmore when you were playing with him? I think Dougie was a little different type of player. I mean, uh, you know, Dougie was more of a feisty player that got more involved. I mean, uh, I think that I'm noticing Robert Thomas doing more things, though, uh, to get involved now that he's killing penalties. He's doing a lot more things. I think he's getting a lot better on the on the uh, face-offs as well. So he's he's absolutely, you know, absolutely improving his game. Now, he's a long way from, I, I guess, being compared to Doug Gilmore, but um, I like what I see out of Robert. I mean, I, he needs to shoot the puck more, though. I mean, Robert mm-hmm. has got one goal this year. I mean, we're 11 games or 10, 11 games into the season. I guess 11 now, and he only has one goal, and it's an empty net goal, and he has not had a lot of shots other than that game in San Jose where he had four or five shots. I mean, he's got what, one or two shots a game, uh, if that at the most. So, I mean, he's got to get more involved, I think, in front of the net. Uh, but I love the way he's dishing the puck. I love the way he's playing defensively right now. And, and then they were giving him more and more ice time, but he had almost 21 minutes last night. But uh, he certainly has potential. We've talked about that the whole time because of the way he sees the ice. Once he gets the line, he's very good, but he still needs to get to the front of the net. And if he, if he can't make a play, he's got to take a shot. He's got to go get some rebounds. So there's little things that he's going to have to continue to work on. But, hey, let's not forget he's still only 21 years old. And that that was my point, not to put his skill set or, or his game in the same category as Gilmore's, but the fact that Craig Bruby can feel comfortable putting him on the power play, putting him on the PK. He plays both ends of the ice, and you can play him more minutes than any other forward that you have. That That's the kind of thing that Gilmore, who started out as fourth-line guy and then ascended, he, he was able to do all of those things. Yeah, and I, and I think the injuries have helped uh, you know, his position, too. I mean, I don't know if he would have got the opportunity to, to, to mm-hmm. kill penalties and do other things if it wasn't for the COVID and for the injuries. I mean, Ryan O'Reilly, now Shen, um, the things that have happened. So you, you get an opportunity, and then you have to make good of it. And I think he's really making good of it. And, uh, yes, if he continues to prove, I mean, who knows where he's going to go. I mean, I've always liked the potential that he's had, and, and hopefully he'll continue to improve. Bernie, you're the Blues franchise leader in games played with 927. David Perron joins the top 10 list with 617 this week. And, you know, a couple stints with the Blues, but it's been really remarkable to watch David Perron grow into someone that has been such an impact player for this organization. Yeah, he seems to get better and better. I mean, uh, this is his third go-around here in St. Louis, and I think this is the best go-around that he's had. Uh, I think he's obviously matured a lot more uh, as a player. And you know what? The guys are training so hard now. I mean, in our day when you were 34, 35, you were done. Now, I mean, these guys are got personal trainers. Uh, they, they work on their games. They work on everything that they need to do. They eat well. They've got nutrition. They've got all this stuff that's involved. And I think David has matured into that. Uh, he seems to get better. And, and I think the fact that he really has hooked up with a guy by the name of Ryan O'Reilly. I think that has just been perfect for him. Uh, the two of them uh, have really hit it off on the ice and off the ice, and, and I think that they really feed off each other. So I think that David uh, is going to got a lot more left uh, in his tank, the way he's playing, the way he's skating, and uh, good for him because uh, you know he's always loved the game. He's always played the game like he's a kid, and, and I think he can continue to play it for, for a lot longer than he, than he has shown. Hey, Bernie, last thing from me, and if the Blues are going to win a 
again. They're going to rely on the guys that helped them win a Stanley Cup a couple of years ago. But I didn't dismiss the idea last night that all of their regulation points came from guys that weren't here two years ago. Kairou was here. Butchnevich is new. Uh, Kairou was here last year. Uh, I find it notable that at this point, with all the COVID guys, the Blues can still win games and succeed without relying on people that they use to win the Stanley Cup. I would agree, Randy. I mean, this is a team that that really has got a lot of different factors. I mean, you you mentioned Kyrie. We talked about Thomas. Uh, You know, Thomas played a little bit. He wasn't in the Stanley Cup run there. He got hurt there in Boston in game one or whatever it was. But uh, there's a lot of, I mean, Saad has been a really good acquisition. Uh, Buchnevich, I mean, that was a, I mean, Neil has chipped in, got a big game winner in San Jose the other night. So uh, this team is is multi-talented. And, you know, the guys are still going to be there. I mean, the O'Reilly's, the Shens, the guys, uh, Pareko's, the guys that were very important for the run. And, of course, the biggest, most important guy is Bennington. Mm -hmm. And he's there. So, I mean, this team has got a, a really good chance of, of, of continuing to get better. And I, and I think they, I said it at the beginning of the year. I mean, we're only 11 games in, but I think that uh, this is a team, Sunquist comes back, that, that is, is, a, is a very uh, good team that can certainly challenge for a Stanley Cup. I mean, everybody talked about Colorado, Vegas. Uh, when you look at the Blues on paper, I think the Blues are every bit as good. And I think that the Blues maybe even have more depth. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, it's a long year. It, it depends what happens, but I really like what what I've seen so far, and I think that this team, uh, with Chief uh, moving them forward, they're going to get better and better. Bernie Federko, we always love having you on. Thanks for the time this morning. Thanks, you guys. Have a great day. You too. We'll see you next week. That is Bernie Federko. You see him before and after every game and during intermissions on Bally Sports. Next up, we're going to head to Carlsbad in the baseball general managers meetings. Bob Nightingale of USA Today is there. We'll find out what's going on with free agency and the CBA next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, 101 ESPN. And we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And the Major League Baseball General Managers meetings are underway in Carlsbad, California. And Bob Nightingale is there for USA Today. And he joins us now, getting up early in the morning in California to join us on the radio. And, Bob, first of all, we appreciate that. How are you doing this morning? Yeah, doing great, Randy. Thanks. Well, let's start with this. Uh, Obviously, when general managers get together, they're talking a lot of transactions getting ready for 2022. Do you think there will be many transactions before we have a CBA? You know, usually it's slow. Uh, So the the general managers say business as usual. And business as usual in baseball, you know, is much slower like the NBA. So I think we'll have a few transactions, but, you know, usually it's not until late December, January when things really start kicking off. Bob, do you get a sense of how aggressive you think the Cardinals may be this offseason? Yeah, I don't sense that they're going to be that aggressive at all, Michelle. I mean, the uh, you're talking about, you know, so many shortstops available. Uh, you know, John Mosielak said yesterday he's not sure, you know, that position players are pretty much set. People have to get their starter. Uh, you know, they're talking about Nick Martinez, uh, you know, pitcher from Japan that's coming over, used to be in the Texas Rangers system, maybe a Marcus Stroman. So it seems like it's going to focus more on pitching than position players. And, Bob, it seems like with the Cardinals having five gold glovers and the best defense in baseball, if they can maintain, to maintain that, 
they're probably in the market for a little different type of starting pitcher than the the Max Scherzer 200 strikeout guy. Not that you wouldn't like to have him, but it seems like a non-strikeout pitch-to-contact pitcher has a better opportunity to to succeed in St. Louis than a lot of places. No, you're right, Randy. With all the uh, Gold Glovers, I mean, you, can, you don't need a strikeout guy. Just guy put the ball in play and maybe some weak contact. Uh, you, you don't have to go for the uh, big time guys. It'll be interesting. You know, I'd be interested to see like a Mac, a Max Scherzer. Uh, I don't think Scherzer's returning to L.A. Uh, he's open to anything. You know, obviously he's from St. Louis. His parents did move to Florida. Uh, he lives in Florida now too. But I think you know. I think he's always dreamed about one day playing for the Cardinals, and this is kind of his last opportunity. Bob, I want to go back to the the CBA really quickly. Do you get a sense of how these negotiations may unfold? Do you think that baseball wants to get this done before the deadline, or do you think we're headed towards a work stoppage? Well, both sides want to get it done. You know, the general managers yesterday talked to them. They are still, you know, cautiously optimistic, uh, half faith that things will get done. Uh, they kept calling it business as usual. You know, it's three weeks from today. Uh, you know, the uh, agents have their uh, big meeting uh, with their executive committees uh, in the last week, uh, last week of November in Dallas. So, uh, you know, both sides know that'd be, you know, a huge, huge hit financially to both sides uh, if there's some kind of work stoppage. Uh, but, you know, when you're talking to both sides, I say, okay, if you don't get a deal done by December 1st, you know, how about December 15th or December 30th, as long as it doesn't impact spring training, you know, let alone the regular season. USA Today's Bob Nightingale with us on 101 ESPN. And Bob, when we first started covering the major leagues, managers would just trot out eight guys and they hoped that they could have eight guys that would play 130, 140 games. Whitey did that. Tony did that here. Pretty much every manager did that that succeeded in the 80s and early 90s. Joe Torre did it with the, the Yankees. Now, it seems like when you look at the way that the Braves succeeded or the Giants succeeded, you need to have a really big roster of really good players where the manager can't make a mistake. And that leads me to this question. Do you think that baseball is going to copycat those two specifically, the Braves and the Giants, by having not as many great players, but a lot of really good players that you could play on a semi-regular basis? Well, I think depth has always been a key. Uh, but you got to be able, you know, you got to be able to play. The starters have got to go out there, you know, 140, 150 times a year. And you look at the uh, what Atlanta accomplished. I mean, every single infielder, I think, played 150 games or more. You know, and they end up all having uh, over 30 home runs, 100 ribbies, except for the shortstop, Dansby Swanson, and he still had 27 home runs. You know, Giants kind of threw an army at you with the uh, the right left platoon situation. So I think depth is uh, maybe more important than ever, just because it seems like you know guys get worn out. But but I will say you know kudos to the uh, Atlanta infield for just playing every single day out there, Bob. We are unsure how aggressive the Cardinals will be when it comes to the shortstop market, but there is a very deep class of free agents out there. Is there a shortstop that you think the Cardinals should be targeting for this season? I would certainly target Marcus Simeon. Uh, you know, he's a uh, 
great player. He's uh, you know 30, 31 years old. Doesn't take a long term contract. You know maybe like a four year deal. Certainly not like a you know seven or ten year deal like some of the other guys are asking for. Uh, you know finish, he's going to finish top three in the MVP race, the American League. Get 45 home runs as a second baseman, but he's versatile. I mean, you can play him at second, you can play him at short. I'm sure you can play him at third base. But I would think, uh, as far as a, a bargain price, he'd be the uh, cheapest of all of the shortstops coming out. And even at the cheapest, and he had a fabulous year. He'll probably get an AAV of at least 20 million, right? Do you think the Cardinals would swim in those waters? I think they at least look into it. You know, another giving a uh, you know. A lot of support for Paul DeYoung, saying he, you know, they hope he bounces back. But I think it's, a, it's tough to ignore that market. Even the teams that already have shortstops, like, you know, like Seattle with J.P. Crawford, uh, the Yankees have an up-and-coming shortstop in two years. You know, it's just you know the greatest you know, free agent uh, class in shortstops, you know, probably in, in baseball history. So I, I think everybody's got to look and see, okay, who can fall into our laps? Maybe you know. The, the teams are more patient. We'll have the guy, you know, fall in place. All right. One more thing. I'm going to put you on the spot here. The baseball winter meetings in mid-December. Will we have a major league presence at baseball's winter meetings? You know, as of about a week ago, Randy, I'd say yes as a minority. Now talking to both sides, I, I, say, I think it's more unrealistic. Now, I don't think we'll have a, a so-called work stoppage that's going to delay the start of spring training or anything like that. But I, I just think, you know, both sides are thinking, okay, let's get this thing done right. If it's not December 1st, you know, why not December 15th or 30th? You know, as long as spring training is not impacted. And, hey, you know, the clubs want to sell season tickets. Uh, you know, 28 of the 30 teams had a drop-off in attendance last year. And the players lost two-thirds of their salary uh, a year ago in the pandemic. So everybody's, you know, cost-conscious. They, they know what this will do if they don't reach an agreement. Bob, thanks for getting up early out there. We appreciate it. Always like having you on the show. Thank you very much, and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds great. Thanks, Randy. Thanks, Michelle. See you later. Bob Nightingale, USA Today, with us on 101 ESPN. And he makes a great point about the Braves infielders all playing a lot. Just seems like baseball's headed, when you look at the Tampa Bays and the Dodgers and the Mm -hmm. Giants, seems like baseball's headed towards that Dodgers, all of their players are expensive, right? Yeah. But it seems like teams think that they can do better by having a lot of good players rather than eight really good players so that you can platoon and have a lot of different guys doing different things on different days. There's multiple ways to win. Yeah, there are. And with (laughs) analytics, it'll head more that direction. Next up, we're going to cross things over with Dan McLaughlin. The Danny Mac show featuring BK is coming up at the top of the hour. And Danny Mac is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The Danny Mac Show featuring BK coming up at the top of the hour. Dan McLaughlin did Billikens last night, I would presume, doing Billikens again tonight as Harris Stowe is at Chaffetz Arena. Yeah, we got the Billikens tonight and on uh, Friday. So we're going to be busy this week, and then things kind of slow down for the uh, locally televised games of Billikens basketball. They looked pretty good last night. I'm not saying that Central Arkansas is going to the Final Four, uh, but uh, they got, what, I think at one point, eight or nine guys had scored for the Bills. Um Mm-hmm. Mr. Strickland's got some hops. Mm-hmm. How about that kid? Yeah, he can play. Ooh. 
I like him. I, I you know, you can see that uh, they're really going to miss Javante Perkins. It's such a huge loss. Yeah. And Yuri Collins is a very good college player. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'll be curious to see when the competition ramps up here, what the rotation of players they have and how they they get through the year. So Michelle Central Arkansas has a player named uh, J S She Two. She Two. She Two. It's uh, it's S H I T T U. So I texted Rammer because, like Dan and like me and Rammer... We're, and you were at the game. I, I was there. Yeah. And so we, we all grew up listening to Jack Buck, who would say, like, he'd be doing a Pete Harnish game and say, Pete Harnish, H-A-R-N-I-S-C-H. <laughs> and so I texted... I've done that a few times, too. Uh, yeah. In, we, we all do. So from, I, I texted yeah. Rammer during the game, and I said, I'll be disappointed if you don't do the Jack Buck spelling of Chateau's name. He said... Already did. <laughs> yeah. So it was she too, S-H-I-T-T-U. <laughs> and I had a line, but I didn't use it. What was that? I'm not going to say it. <laughs> I want to stay FCC uh, compliant. Yes. Thank you. Good. I'm proud of you. Yes. Good. You go down these little rabbit holes, he man. And I, you're just going to get me in trouble. So I heard yesterday, and I didn't reveal it because I forgot, uh, but at, during the fight, I pointed out that I had heard that uh, John Lester is going to retire. Is that right? According to several of his former teammates. Is that uh, as of this morning? Uh, you heard that, you mean? It's not official, <clears throat> but uh, his his friends and former teammates are saying that he's going to call it quits. Yeah. I mean, it, it would make some sense if you're going to do it. You go out where you still have uh, some success. It kind of reminds me if he would go out this year of Andy Bennis. Yep, good call. I was thinking Will Clark. Well, that's another one. But I I was thinking Andy Bennis learned basically like a splitter fork ball from Chuck Finley at the very end of his career. And you remember that year, the Cardinals basically were like, go away, Andy. I mean, you know, they had had pitching. Yep. And they kind of just wanted him to go away. And all of a sudden, they needed pitching. Because that was the, I believe that was the year that Daryl Kyle had passed away. So they had guys like Travis Smith. Remember him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they went out and acquired a forty-year-old Chuck Finley for Coco Crisp, which yeah. was, you know, Coco Crisp turned out to be a, a heck of a player, obviously. And and Chuck Finley was really good down the stretch. But one of the things that Chuck did was he taught. Andy's like, hey, man, hold it this way, do this, that, and the other. And Andy Bennis is getting guys out after out after out. And all of a sudden, they're like, hey, Andy, you want to come back for another year? I mean, they tried to get him to come back because he was so effective. Um, And I think there's a little bit of a parallel there with John Lester. You know, John Lester changed how he pitched at the end of this season with the Cardinals. They figured out some things about pitching inside and out. And he he even admitted, he's like, "I'm, I'm, you know, uh, bullheaded and, and trying to you know pitch inside with this and that and the other with my cutter and and now they've got me pitching away and remember he's getting all this soft contact he's giving you five or six innings um, so maybe he feels like okay I went out with going into the playoffs I was still very much at not the top of his game because he wasn't in the prime of his career but still very competitive to get outs and sometimes guys just say you know what enough's enough my guy and I don't know if the Cardinals will and he also got yeah. to 200 wins yeah, oh, yeah, so that was big Huge, too. Yeah. But I think though, not to interrupt again, but mm-hmm. he's at 200 wins and he's closing in on a strikeout milestone too. Was it 2,500 maybe something like that? Let's find out. Um, but he would have been like only a handful of lefties in the history of baseball to have 200 wins and that milestone uh-huh. of strikeouts, whatever yeah. it was, and the three world championships. That's going to help. Not bad either. He's. A, he, I mean, he's very close to being a Hall of Famer. Yeah. It, 
I've decided that my free agent is Marcus Stroman. If I can get a guy, Stroman is my guy. I love him. Doesn't he Um, fit well here? I think he would. Um, And the way that he pitched against the Cardinals at the end of the season, I was watching him and and pitching to contact. He's he's throwing strikes. And I've been saying this nonstop, and I'm sure people are sick of hearing about it, but you get people that throw strikes with this defense. Now it's been proven. You're going to win some games. I mean, that's how they turn this thing around. They found guys that threw strikes. I'm not saying you win all the time, but, man, your chances are really good when you've got the kind of defense that this team is it, it possesses. And, and Dylan Carlson is no slouch, no. even though he wasn't a finalist. <laughs> Their shortstop position actually was number one in defensive run mm-hmm. save combined with DeYoung and Sosa. Mm-hmm. You know what you're going to get out of Yachty? I mean, find guys that throw I, strikes. I've got a, a Cardinal Nation roll their eyes at the transaction guy, Zach Davies. Uh, no. Not for me. I'll I'll take him because if you he can, got hit hard though, Randy. I, I know. mean, he's getting hit hard, but he hasn't always been hit hard. And he's a guy that you got to fix. And the Cardinals play in the they have at least played historically in those games, and he, he's not going to cost you anything. No, I I for sure not going to. And maybe that's the kind of guy you take a flyer on, and you say, okay, because I've been saying with BK. Do you want to dip your toe into the water of, of the shortstop position? It's going gonna, it's gonna to cost you a lot of money, even if it's just a one-year deal for Trevor Story at 18 to $22, 23000000 million. Would you rather dedicate that money to pitching and throw a bunch at the wall? Now, get somebody like Stroman that is established, because I do think you have to bring somebody in like that. But after that, I'm looking at you know a, a swing guy in the bullpen mm-hmm. or the rotation that can help me out, that has had big league experience. And you can find those guys. By the way, John Lester, 2,488 career strikeouts. Oh, wow. Yeah, I knew he was close. A dozen away. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to the show, guys, and I mean this sincerely. We have Matt Carpenter coming up. Mark. He, he's going to be at uh, 1015. Um, I've got a great relationship with Matt on a personal level. Uh, I do believe he's a Cardinal Hall of Famer eventually. I'm not sure if it's going to happen right off the bat, but I do think eventually it will happen. Um, And we'll find out if he wants to continue to play. Obviously, it's not going to be here in St. Louis, but he did have a fabulous run as a St. Louis Cardinal. We'll be tuned in. All right, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Danny Mack with BK coming up. Thanks to our producer engineer, Emily Butcher. Great job as always. Thanks. You as well. And Michelle, this was fun. Have a great day. It was By the way, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Breaking news. News here. Jay Delsing said that Lester told me he was done, had him on the show three weeks ago. There you go. So, you know, done. Jay Delsing maybe breaking news three weeks ago, and maybe he should have told us that he knew that. Yeah, right. Come on, Jay. Don't wait Didn't for You could have broke news. Done. Yeah, done. tweet that out. Yeah. For <laughs> exactly. all of us, thanks for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Here's the lowdown on lowering bad cholesterol from Lecvio. Lowering bad cholesterol is hard, but you could do hard. You live through five fad diets, 11 sleep training nights, nine mediocre middle school recitals, one heart attack. And with Lecvio, you can lower your bad cholesterol and keep it low with two doses a year after two starter doses. Prescription Lecvio in glycerin is given by a doctor for people with known heart disease on a statin with diet who need more help lowering bad cholesterol. Common side effects were injection site reaction, joint pain, urinary tract infection, diarrhea, chest cold, pain in legs or arms, and shortness of breath. Results may vary. Learn more at Lecvio.com or call 1-833-537-8462. 
Ask your doctor about Lecvio. That's L-E-Q-V-I-O. Lower, longer, Lecvio. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.